Welcome back to Hayden's Entertainment Hour. Yes, today we're going to be going over, finally, the top 10 best and worst movies of 2022. Now, it's been a long time coming. This has been a crazy year for movies as a whole, and I thought to myself, well, you know what? Rather than keep doing this boring routine I do every year at the end of the year, making a podcast by myself, talking about my top 10 best and worst, why don't I bring somebody else on to talk about their top 10 best and worst? So, without further ado today, my guest for the first time ever doing this with me is Mr. Fahrenheit. So, welcome, Fahrenheit, and uh, I hope you love this year of movies, because I certainly did. Man, this has been a journey. Like that—that's the best way I can describe it, I guess. Because like I—I I think I grew up liking movies, but I—I I think this is like the first time I've really been into it. Because, yeah, no, I watched like a hundred movies by the end of the year, and my God, that was like a milestone I never thought I'd like hit at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I, I just really love the movies that I have seen, even though there have been some misses. Uh, but honestly, the ones that I did love stick with me today. And I think that's all that matters. That is fair. That's completely fair. So um, with this being the first time ever, basically, I'm going to talk a little bit about my podcast and just kind of a whole as what I think it helped with this year. Because as you guys know, in years past, I usually just did this podcast with one of my old co-hosts, Danny. And while the podcast for a while I felt like was going somewhere, Danny inevitably kind of came to me and said, hey, I want to retire from this. And I told her that was okay. Um, And when I started doing this on my own, I actually thought about hanging it up there was a big part of me that was like i don't think i can keep doing this anymore i just don't think it's worth trying to do on my own nobody's going to listen to a guy that's going for a film degree right now that knows nothing about movies really and then i just decided you know what go out on a limb and reach out to people and see if they wanted to be a part of it and last year i got brand new guests like fahrenheit to go on i got guests like charles to come on i got guests like kai to come on i got some other people to come on obviously to talk about movies and stuff and you know it felt like this was the one podcast or the one thing that I was doing right that was creating a community that loved films because there would be people that actively listened to this podcast. They would send me like feedback about it in DMs. They would send me something about how I was doing a really good job with my voice and tone and diction and everything. And I don't think, you know, honestly, I thought I was doing that good of a job, but I really appreciate the fact that you guys have supported this podcast going forward. Our average listens for a podcast this year went up to about 30 listeners, which in the past, guys, that may not seem like like that may not seem like a lot of listeners but compared to what i was getting in the past no like you guys have saved this podcast the highest podcast this year to get the most streams and listens was the glass onion podcast which has currently over 210 listens and i cannot thank you guys enough because when me and fahrenheit originally did it at the beginning of the year or not at the beginning but towards the end of the year when it had first come out in theaters i thought well nobody's going to listen to it because it hasn't come out yet but no it instantly got 50 streams within that first day and i can't thank you guys enough so I guess my big gratitude here is that I really thank you guys so much for supporting this podcast, keeping it going, keeping interest in it. And I really appreciate the people like Fahrenheit that want to come on and talk about these movies. By the way, you carried that podcast episode. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I don't think I did. (laughs) No, no, just more so just due to the fact that like, I don't know, you, you you saw the movie more and I just remember you were like, I don't know, like, I don't know how to explain it necessarily but like i don't know the way that you're able to like um tell the story like verbatim yeah like also just like throwing your own insight it it was always fun to listen and i just felt bad so apologies for that episode i guess 
No, you did great. I honestly liked you as a co-host. No, yeah, no, but like, I don't know. It's also just been a long time coming as well because, yeah, no, I, I'm really appreciative that you actually took me in ever since the Snyder cut. <laughs> yep, ever since the Snyder cut. And ever since then, uh, yeah, no, I, I feel like I've been kind of been forming into my own, I guess. And yeah, no, I, I'm just glad that we met then. Yeah. And now we're yeah. here. Yeah, we'll I am glad that, I'm glad that we met over a mutual shared love of movies. And hate of some movies. <laughs> but yeah, like... and hate of some movies. <laughs> of course. Um, yes, but as I said, um, I had made an announcement before the podcast that I wanted some of you guys to submit me your top 10 best and worst of the year. And we actually got a few people to reach out and be like, hey, here's my top 10 best and worst. So I have two lists that I'm going to be reading off before me and Fahrenheit get into our podcast. And then the other one is actually going to be an audio podcast file. So I'm going to be uploading that at the end of the podcast for that person. Um, but without further ado, I want to get into... Danny's top 10 best and worst of the year because she sent me a list today. I reached out to her and said, Hey, I would really like it if you would make a list because you've been a you know co-host with me forever and everything like that. And I think we should get to hear some of your opinions on it. And so Danny put together this list for me. I'm going to read off her top 10 best first. Um, basically in the description for her, it says in her list, it is some of these movies are interchangeable. The first four are the best movies I saw last year or from last year. Um, from that point on, it's movies that I really liked and I couldn't decide on what order to put them in. I have X as an honorable mention because I didn't want more uh, or I didn't want more than one movie from that franchise in the top 10. I also just like Pearl a lot more. There's some recency bias here, but I don't care. So let's get into Danny's top 10 best, right? Right. So um, X is the honorable mention, which is 11. And then 10 is Sonic the Hedgehog 2. 9 is George Carlin's American Dream. 8 is Violent Night. Seven is Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Six is Halloween Ends. Five is Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Four is Puss in Boots, the Last Wish. Three is Pearl. Two is Everything Everywhere All at Once. And number one spot is The Batman. Awesome. Also, uh, really based take that you put Violent Night over Bullet Train. Because (laughs) I highly agree. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so without further ado, we shall now get into Danny's top 10, uh, worse, which I guess this is just top five. They told me that they didn't really want to do a top 10, which I completely agree with. I understand. So here we go with Danny's top five worst of the year. So number five is the multiverse of madness. Four is uncharted. Three is ambulance. Two is the Texas chainsaw massacre. And the absolute worst movie that Danny saw in 2022 was Elvis. (laughs) That is totally understandable, especially in retrospect, because like it's just like what it's just like a biopic of a pedophile being a legend. <laughs> and we get Tom Hanks arguably giving the worst performance of his career. Oh, yeah. Most it's definitely. so Tom Parker, my boy. Oh, it's so bad. He's going to be in a man named Otto. Maybe, maybe a, a remake of farm. an already good Swedish film called A Man Called Ove. What are we doing, people? I don't know, man. Uh, Anyways, so the other list that was submitted was from a user named Xander that has become kind of a recent fan of the podcast. So Xander sent me his top 10 best and worst of the year list. So let's read them off, shall we? So here we go with Xander's top 10. So 10 is Top Gun Maverick. 9 is Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood. 8 is The Fablemans. 7 is Everything Everywhere All at Once. 6 is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Five is Del Toro's Pinocchio. Four is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Three is the Banshees of Insurin. Two is the Batman. 
and one is Tar. Tar. I love that movie. <laughs> I, I want to describe my experience with that movie in a bit when I get okay. to my top 10, but like, good list. Good list. Yeah, yeah. Very, very good list. So, uh, his bottom 10 or the worst of the year list are <laughs> 10 Pinocchio, a true story, nine Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Roderick Rules 2022, eight Thor, Love and Thunder, seven Dash Cam, six Luck, five They Slash Them, four Disney's Pinocchio 2022, three Jurassic World Dominion, two Marmaduke, and number one is Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't hate Rescue Rangers, but I guess I can see where they come from on that. No, 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 most definitely, most definitely. Like, yeah, because isn't like the Peter Pan joke technically in bad taste? Kind of because of the situation with the actor from all those years ago. But yeah, it is kind of in poor taste. Like, and that I get. But, but like, Disney, Disney doing something in poor taste, what? <laughs> that's, bizarre. that's bizarre. And, I mean, come on. It showcased ugly Sonic. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10. Yeah, 10 out of 10. <laughs> well, you know, we've gotten through two of our guests, obviously, and then we'll be doing the other one at the end of the podcast, like I said. So now, Fahrenheit, it's time for both you and I to go through our top 10 best and worst movies of 2022. We will start with the best, obviously, because we want to start positive before we get into the negative. Um, but I will let you go first and name off your number 10. But before we do that, do you have any honorable mentions of other movies you'd like to mention before we do your 10th? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, whoa, whoa, wait, hold on. All right, yeah. No, I have a few. Um, I want to honorably mention Decision to Leave. I, I feel like I'm a little bit too dumb to under to understand the full movie, but like I want to say that like the whole romantic part of it, and especially like the ending, was just so shattering to me i want to say it's probably my favorite ending of this year it's so tragic and it's i don't know i I, it's really good basically i highly recommend if you have like a movie uh subscription that'd be really fun to watch i i actually subscribed to movie just to see that movie so awesome yeah no highly recommend Mm -hmm. uh Another one I want to recommend is uh, Turning Red. I love that one a lot yeah, a good when one. it came out. Uh, because I want to say that it spoke a lot to me when I first mm-hmm. watched it. And uh, I want to say that it had probably the most explosive third act ever. Yeah. And it's such a damn shame that it was like taken away from theaters. Like That, that was robbery right there i was so sad yeah but no yeah pixar made like the third best animated movie that's all that matters uh and the last one i want to honorably mention is barbarian mm-hmm. yeah barbarian is so fucking weird <laughs> i love it so much like yep. as a michigan resident i'll take it like but the whole Detroit thing mm-hmm. is so cool and creative. I don't know. I, I love it so much. It, it probably has the wildest tone shift. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, no, I love it so much. 
So yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Uh, yeah, what what do you think about those though? I do like the shoutouts though. Those are those are some good movies that I would agree are underrated, especially Barbarian. I more people need to see Barbarian because I when I first heard about it, I'm like the trailers kind of look bad. I don't know. This doesn't look very good. And then I went and said uh, saw it, and I was like, okay, guess I was wrong on this one because not only does that movie have some great themes to it, but just the horror itself and the the freaking thing that lives in the basement, just like ah. Uh, like, it is such a good, just horror movie, and I hope more people see it. I mean, it's on HBO Max right now. Go watch it if you haven't. Please. All right, so I'm going to go into my top ten. All right. And then, Semi-brief. You, yeah, but... so do you want to give an explanation for each of your movies? Because that's what I'm planning to do. Um, I'll pro- yeah, I'll probably okay. do, like, a semi-brief explanation. I, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I want to be too long with each one so here's my suggestion we'll both name off our tens and then work our way up to one gotcha gotcha okay all right so i'll let you go you give us your number 10 movie and explain why it was 10 or why you like this movie so much and then we'll move on gotcha gotcha so my number 10 used to be glass onion by the way which technically honorable mention really good movie as mentioned in the podcast but Come on, man. RRR <laughs> was such an explosive movie from start to finish. It did not need to bang as hard as it did. It's such like a bro movie, but like told in the most pure way imaginable. A little, a little story. I remember I watched like the first half of it. So like it, it's a three hour movie. I watched the first hour and 30 minutes and then they had to stop to um, see another movie with a friend in theaters. And when I got to the halfway mark, I was like, that did not feel like an hour and 30 at all. It, it literally just felt like 30 minutes past. That's how well the pacing is for this bizarre action flick. And I highly like, okay, so it's not in the original dub on mm-hmm. Netflix, unfortunately. Uh, the only, the second best thing is probably watching it in Hindi, but then using English subtitles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jesus Christ, like, there's literally a dude who punches a tiger with the torch and it's the most badass shot ever. And I love it so much. I want to see it again soon. <laughs> I highly suggest it if you haven't seen it already. That is fair. Uh, and then number nine is The Northman. One of the most underrated films this year. I, I don't know why people think it's like basic. Like, oh, it's just like some Hamlet narrative that is just revenge. And I'm like, it's a little bit more than that. I guess because like I really like Robert Eggers' works. I really like The Witch. I really like The Lighthouse. I just really like his cryptic way of storytelling, and I want to say that this is probably his most ambitious work. Like I, I think I like The Lighthouse just a tad more, but I really like this grand scale adventure 
and like this like really fucked up narrative of Hamlet mm-hmm. of something like akin to that because like I yeah no I wouldn't really say it's like one for one but like it's definitely a take and a very interesting one at that I highly suggest it if you haven't seen it already what what is it on is it on Amazon I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon Prime I believe it's on Amazon Prime right now gotcha gotcha so yeah, check that one out. Number eight for me is Nope. I love that movie so much. I started working at a movie theater in August, and I want to say that was like the first movie that I saw the most. Mm-hmm. I think I, I I took my friends to see this movie like all the time whenever I could, and I think I ended up seeing that movie like five times. But I really like the dynamic between uh, OJ and M, basically, because I never really saw that dynamic of siblings portrayed in a movie that felt that close to home, mm-hmm. I guess. And the yeah. thing is, the, the ending is left very ambiguous. And that's what I really like about it, because like that last shot of like OJ being out yonder um that could be interpreted in, in two ways either this is M envisioning his brother who's already been eaten like and him just being out yonder being yeah like the first just a call back to the beginning of the movie or yeah it's just a happy ending where OJ and Kiki Palmer are just scot free. Basically, th- this is probably my favorite Peel movie because I, I want to say that feels more clear cut mm-hmm. in comparison to Get Out, where Get Out had like two separate endings. Basically, like I want to say this one felt a little bit more clear cut, I guess. That is fair. That is very fair. Yeah. Uh, and number six for me is, or no, not number six, number seven. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, we skipped a spot. <laughs> sorry, my bad, my bad. It's Tar. So, funny story, Tar used to be my second favorite movie of this year. Oh, really? Yeah, no, like, it even, like, surpassed, like, the Batman for me. But, well, because, like, the thing is, I think the Batman is still one of my favorite movies of all time spoilers for my top 10 but tar seems to be one of the best made movies of this year i want to say the way that it's written in a very meticulous way but like it's not giving too much away but like it's very much building the character of lydia tar played by Kate blanchett in such a very unique way I guess like it's like a very I okay but wait so back to like my experience I knew virtually nothing about Tar going into it I only saw the poster and that's about it I didn't see any trailers I didn't know who was in it besides Kate Blanchett I didn't even know what it was about even though I probably could have pieced it together because like it's just her holding uh like a conductor thing 
right? Mm-hmm. But I was not expecting this very intricate character study where she, where Lydia Tar, the character, is in complete control over her whole world. Basically, she's the most powerful being in in that little world of hers. Yeah. But as soon as she loses control, and she does, it's the most cathartic thing ever because this is also just like a really good take on the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. So I, if you don't know what happens, I don't want to spoil it. That's how good it is. Okay. But just know that it also makes fun of you sometimes. For okay. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. But, man, that movie is just so interesting to, like, deep dive into. That That's the best way I can describe it, I guess. Oh, but yeah. I want to say it's heavier than a lot of the movies that I like. So I think I just ended up liking a lot more movies, that's I guess. Fair. That is fair. Uh, but, yeah. I said I was going to keep these descriptions Free. my bad no, you're but good. no i i just really like these movies that i saw okay now number six is guillermo del toro's pinocchio Woo-hoo. yes i love this movie so much it was one of my most anticipated movies uh this was like a whole little trilogy that guillermo del toro has been making uh where Children in war, yeah, where children grow up in warlike settings. And that started with like Devil's Backbone, which is my personal favorite Guillermo del Toro movie, and Pan's Labyrinth. And then this year's Pinocchio, which we have gotten two other Pinocchio movies. We have <laughs> that we're not going to talk about right now. Uh, we're we're going to mention some of them later, I'm assuming. Yeah, probably. But, um, no, yeah, I just thought that this one had the most heart. To be honest, like, there, there's one other animated movie. I would put it above it, but I don't know. Like, it, it's, it's how my mood is right now, I guess. Maybe it could change. But, like, I think what I like about both of these movies is that they're able to be children's stories while being really mature in its themes. Yes. Yeah. No, that, I'm not... yeah, I get that. So, yeah, no, please check out Pinocchio if you can. Uh, Ringer? There, there's a guy named Ringer uh, who's in CVH, one of my best friends there. Uh, he's planning on talking about Pinocchio with you someday, right? Correct? I believe so. Yeah, we're going to try and schedule it. Mm-hmm. It, it'd be really fun, by the way. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, no, he he's a major fan of that movie. I don't want to take that spotlight away from him. That's fair. Basically, check it out if you can. Really good. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing my... to talk about in January anyway. So. Exactly. <laughs> Except for maybe Megan. Oh, God. Yeah. Directed by him. <laughs> it's gonna be really fun uh okay on to my top five uh number five the fablemans 
I was rooting for this movie's downfall. <laughs> I think from the very beginning, I thought Spielberg was a hack. I didn't connect to his movies that much besides like Catch Me If You Can. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I thought Jaws was okay, which yeah. it's good. It's it's really good. Um, and then I don't think I really connected with the first Indiana Jones movie. Uh, and yeah, no, Spielberg to me has always just been like a very confusing director to me, and I never really understood his filmography up until I saw The Fablements. I think because the I don't know the thing about The Fablements is that I want to say it's his most human movie. I want to say like it's his most vulnerable story, and I. I don't like think every time I'm wrong in saying that because I think that is very true. Yeah. And like it's the one that I keep on thinking about the most because I can relate to it a lot of the time. Like I, I'm not saying that I'm a film major. Like I, I didn't even know about that about you, to be honest, Hayden. Congrats to you, by the way, for like wanting to pursue film some more. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm mar- <laughs> I'm a double major currently, marketing and sales, and then film. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I can b- combine these two worlds one day. That's fun. Yeah, no, I know. Oh, I feel wait. like there's a lot of fun to have in promoting movies. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know. Like, again, I want to become an. Well, the thing is, I want to become an English teacher. But like, that childhood wonder that film brings that. Like, that one shot of, like, Sam Fableman holding, like, his first picture. Yeah, which is a very, very, like, chilling scene. Yeah, like, that was so interesting. And I'm still debating on if I still want to consider this a biopic, which, if... We're saying which one is the best biopic. If that one, if the Fablemans doesn't count, then obviously it's the Weird Al Yankovic story, right? <laughs> like no, no contest. But like, I don't know. It, it's so interesting to see like how Spielberg was not only able to make a personal story about himself making the Fable Man, but like. He was also making it for our future generations who want to become film majors. I also guess. true. Yeah, no, that's also true. Yeah, because spoiler alerts, like David Lynch makes a cameo in this and he's playing John Ford. <laughs> which is the most badass thing ever, in my opinion. It the is. whole process of how he got onto there was so interesting to me. But like, besides that, I always tell customers. Basically, yeah, no, I really like talking about this with customers at the movie theater, because um, I would always make the parallel to how it's a how Sam Fableman is like a stand-in for our generation who want to become who want to get into film, right? So, like, where Spielberg met John Ford, Sam Fableman, us, we get to meet David Lynch, who is, quote-unquote, the greatest director who ever lived. 
who gives us a great, great weather report. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the number of the day. Mm-hmm. Which is... <laughs> no, I love this. I, I love David Lynch so much, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Watching Twin Peaks and watching Eraserhead was the most surreal thing ever. And yeah, that's really what the power of film does, I guess. That's one of the reasons why I really like Fablements, I guess. They're able to have a lot of fun while also being really down to earth, I guess. No, so, that's fair. Yeah, that's why it's in my number five. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's like a really deep, emotional like story what can really top that one um puss in boots and the last wish is my number yeah. four <laughs> let's go baby puss in boots. boots your favorite fearless hero puss in boots banderas oscar performance dude um wait who i feel so bad because like i am bad with celebrity names sometimes mm-hmm. who played puss Antonio Banderas. Yes, the person who was in Uncharted gave (laughs) one of the best voice acting performances ever this year. Yeah, I mean, he's always been a good voice actor and this Puss in Boots in the Shrek films. I mean, he's just, that was a role that you could tell he just loved. Like, he gives off such a range of, like, he can be, like, joking, of course. He can be serious. He can be fucking desperate for no reason yeah because like the thing is with puss and boots and technically guillermo del toro's pinocchio they deal with death in a very mature and sometimes very scary way yeah they do where it's like holy shit like our characters can die and sometimes they do very tragically but yet, sometimes they just face death in the most badass way. Like I, like, I don't know how to describe it. With Pinocchio, it's more subtle and more personal and has been technically building up longer. So maybe some days I can prefer Puss in Boots. Like, ah, sorry. I can prefer Pinocchio more than Puss in Boots. But like with Puss in Boots, it's a huge-ass spectacle that kind of just is a love letter to animation as a whole i want to say because like yeah no it's very much like inspired by like not only the shark movies but also like something akin to like spider-verse a lot of the time and i really love the animation style because of that and also just like the constant references to other movies sometimes like i i saw like a terminator reference I saw, like, it might be a stretch, everything everywhere, where, like, John Mulaney's character shoots the unicorn horns and they pop like confetti. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that scene was so cool. Um, ah, oh, man, I can gush for that movie for ages. But I've given a lot of praise to the other ones, and I only have more praise later, so... Please check out Puss in Boots. It's probably the best movie playing in your theater right now. Yeah. It's so good. Highly recommend. So, 
yeah. And my number three spot is the Batman. One yeah. of my first. Yes, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Why do I like the other ones a little bit more? Here's the thing. The Batman will always hold a special place in my heart. He's my favorite superhero of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, I have, like, a whole collection of, like, comics, toys, video games, you name it. I love this character so much, but, like, I don't know how to, like, I don't know how to explain it sometimes. Maybe some films are better than the Batman on a technical level. Even though I can anal, I and I have cycle analyzed every aspect of the Batman one time in my letterbox, and the thing is that was probably my longest review ever. But like, I don't know. Sometimes, especially with like these next two on my list, I they didn't change me as much or no sorry they did change me a little bit more that year like how did in if i look back in 2022 what movies do i look back at and how they impacted me and i want to say these two movies are a little bit more impactful there so yeah i don't want to delve into the batman too much because not only have i done that on my letterbox but like also in the Batman podcast, basically, which I think I still like agree with a lot of the points that I made in, in that podcast still. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say check it out if you somehow haven't already. It's probably the best Batman movie next to the Lego Batman movie. That is my <laughs> hot take. Yes. Um, on to my last two. After Sun. After, have you seen that yet? I have not. It's on my watch list. That movie left me speechless. And I think I want to say that it made me uh, realize that I have a favorite genre, like a, a, like a favorite secret genre of movies that's okay. so specific, but like it exists for no reason. It's Stories about imperfect fathers with David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so weird. Like, like technically, Bardo has a scene with that movie, which is another movie that came out this year. Um, After Sun is on that list. I included Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Like, as an honorable mention, because, like, even though there isn't a David Bowie song in there, David Bowie was about to make, like, a cameo. Yeah, he was. In that movie. Yeah. So, I'm, in spirit, it counts. <laughs> no, but, like, my favorite movie of all time is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, and that just is, like, the blueprint, I guess. But back to After Sun. After Sun is such... A weird movie about like videotapes I guess and like nostalgia I want to say and just looking into the past like yeah. who you're going to be 
And did you know this person when you first knew him? I mm-hmm. guess. And it's just so personal. It's so heartbreaking. And like I just remember just like it it I never gave the song Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie any thought. I thought it was just the funny like under pressure song, I guess. Like I, I never gave it like two thoughts. I never like listened to it into its entirety. But when I did, in the context of this movie, it was so sad. I uh, I don't want to spoil it either. It's so good. Please watch it if you haven't. Uh, yeah. That's my second favorite movie of 2022. My first one ever is also the last movie that I saw from the year 2022 uh, is Everything Everywhere All at Once. That's a, yeah, that, there we go. That's a phenomenal pick. Yeah, like, I want to say that, um, yeah, it's like a comfort movie for me, but instead of comforting me, it just makes me cry. (laughs) You wouldn't be fun. Yeah. Like, like for context, yeah, Bacon and I recently rewatched it together. Yeah. Like, I like, or like via online, right? And I'm like, yeah, this is a really good movie. Like, I, I teared up at times, but I'm like, I'm a grown ass man. I don't cry at this movie anymore. And then I watched it with my family, and I was in the theater. Like it, it just sent me back to the theater when I first watched it. And I don't know, like maybe I wasn't paying attention to it like when I was watching it like online, but like every time I see it, I guess, it, it just gives me back like a reality check on empathy. Basically. And just like just like caring for the people around me i guess that's that's what i got out of this movie and i think that's something that's really special for something that's this well acted this well choreographed this well edited and this well-made movie yeah like i do hope it gets love and maybe it doesn't Maybe it ends up something like Better Call Saul where it didn't get any love at all. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's special to me. Yeah. And to be honest, I think that's all that matters. That is true. That is the important thing at the end of the day. So would you like to go through one more time and read off your top 10 best? Correct. Yes. So number 10 is RRR. Number 9 is The Northman. Number eight is Nope. Seven is Tar. Six is Pinocchio. Five is The Fablemans. Four is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Number three is The Batman. Two is After Sun. And one is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah. And that is my top 10 of 2022 out of 100. 
Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, guess it'd be my turn now. <laughs> um, so my top 10 best of list, as a lot of you guys know, before I usually delve into it, I like to give out honorable mentions. Last year, I had a system where I had a bronze tier, which was where some six out of 10 movies went, a silver tier, which is where some seven out of 10 movies went. And then any movie that got an eight or higher usually made the top 10 best of list. Now, this year, it was a lot harder because there were so many great movies that had come out that I had thought to myself, a lot of these that aren't going to make the top 10 have to at least make the silver tier. And yeah, there is a lot of them that made that silver tier. Bronze tier was a little lacking this year, which I just think kind of tells me so much that I thought a lot of the movies this year were either mid or pretty bad <laughs> when it came to like just the quality level. I, there weren't really any six out of tens for me. So let's get into my bronze tier, which is the six out of 10 tier for these movies. So, my first bronze tier award goes to The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, or the Nick Cage movie, Scream 5, mm -hmm. Bodies, 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 Bullet Train, and Babylon. That's fair. Like, uh, because, like, the thing is, Babylon was, like, the last movie that I've seen in theaters. Mm -hmm. I, I think I like that movie, but at the same time what the fuck <laughs> yeah yeah i have a, i have a letterbox review on this one if people would like to read it but basically i think that there's a lot of problems with the first act of that movie um and personally i don't think it really gets good until it starts getting into the stuff and even then the ending has a couple things that i don't personally like but i'm just i'm just gonna say read the letterbox review because i don't want to go over why these movies got in a six out of ten or we'd be here all day I do want to say though, what like one last add-on to Babylon. Damien Chazelle. From the three movies I've seen of his, they all seem to end the same. Yes, they do very much. <laughs> yeah. Like just spectacle, shot of main character, and then tragic send off. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe it works. Maybe it's a bit formulaic. I don't know. Babylon's weird. I, I gave it like a 7 to an 8. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So now for my silver tier, which is my 7 out of 10 movies. So we have X, Turning Red, Hustle, Devotion, Barbarian, Weird, the Al Vankovich story, Violent Night, Avatar, The Way of Water, and Jackass Forever. <laughs> Did a lot of you forget that came out in 2022? <laughs> uh, Jackass. Maybe maybe with Jackass, I need to get more accustomed to the Jackass formula. Yeah, and Johnny Knoxville is a human. Because, <laughs> like, I don't know. Those movies are so uncomfortable as fuck. But, like, that's kind of the humor, mm -hmm. to be honest. And the more I thought about it, like, the fact that it was... Who's the guy that got hit by a bull? So the guy that got hit by the bull was Johnny Knoxville. Johnny, yeah, yeah. Like, I think the fact that that was, like, the last time he was going to do something like that ever again. Like, it's, like, a send-off to, like, a bygone era. Yeah. That is kind of beautiful. I'm not going to lie. I yeah. just wish I was more connected to the world. Maybe I just need to see more jackasses. 
<laughs> well, the, those types of movies are for a certain audience normally. And I'm somebody that grew up watching Jackass or like stunt videos that go wrong. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I, I got to support this franchise. And so every year they put out a Jackass, I've tried to go to movies and see it. That's fair. Yeah. Um. So we're going to get into my top 10. And I just want to say right here, because my number 11 kind of ties into my number 10 a little bit. So my number 10 movie of the year is The Fablemans. But my number 11 movie that would be right behind it for this year is Nope. Why are these two together, you might say? Well, like Fahrenheit said, Spielberg is a director that he had definitely has a style and you have to kind of like the way he makes films. I'm personally a fan of him. I'm somebody that does like Indiana Jones. I'm somebody that really enjoys Jaws and the spectacle that it brings. And I'm also a fan of some of his other works like, you know, Catch Me If You Can or something like that. And it's just kind of a testament to how Spielberg as a director has a lot of range. But you really have to commit and like his style. And The Fablemans is kind of this whole different style from Spielberg. I love the whimsicalness of it. I love how cheesy it can get at times. I love the feel of it. And just in general, the way this movie talks about movies. Because as somebody that studies film, obviously, and I'm going for a film degree on the side, this movie speaks so much to the volume of what movies mean to everybody. And little Sammy Fableman in this movie, who you're kind of watching through the lens of and everything... He has a journey of how cinema changes his life over the course of the years. At first to him, it's just cool getting to see like a little train crash. To him, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense as to why he's obsessed with it until he figures out that there's something about controlling it. Then he goes on to start making little westerns and stuff like that. He goes on to messing with several different techniques in filmmaking. And you watch him slowly grow into this appreciation of film. Barking back at his dad that doesn't really seem to be enjoying the hobby that he's making. His mom that's always been really supportive in getting the camera that he wants and everything. And just his friends that have come and been supportive even when bullies come in and try to ruin his film what i love about this movie is how much it speaks to what cinema means to us what cinema means to somebody like sammy and just in general how movies are so powerful and how they connect people now nope you might be wondering why i tie it in with the fable men's at number 10 nope is jordan peele's spectacle movie which a lot of that movie, if you've seen Jaws, gives a lot of the vibes that feels like Jaws. It's kind of this quiet little contained story about this big creature, and they have to find a way to destroy this big creature. They both kind of end similarly in how they take down this gigantic creature, but it's kind of like that Hollywoodization feel. Like, all the characters in Jaws feel like a bygone era of Hollywood, feel like that kind of cheesy, you know, like 1950s action movie and everything. And at times in Nope, it feels like it's calling back to that era of movies like Jaws, especially with a character in it that, like the Captain that was obsessed with catching jazz, uh, Jaws has a cameraman in Nope that is obsessed with getting the right shot. And that's what I kind of love about it is it feels like a lot of Nope is kind of a poetry to Spielberg and the spectacles in a way. And I feel like that's the reason I feel like it gets so close to being my number 10 with the Fablemans because it's a really good companion piece and a testament to what a, Spiel a filmmaker like Spielberg has done for many filmmakers that are modern now like Jordan Peele. Yeah, I mean, both of them are kind of similar as well where... Not only do they, like, capture, like, spectacle, I guess, but, like, yeah. it's also, like, it's a love letter to the cast and crew a Thanks. lot of the time. Yeah. And, yeah, no, if anything, yeah, and nope, it's more prominent that they're trying to get this cast and crew, or mostly the crew, capturing this spectacle, whereas uh, The Fablemans is just about how life has been a spectacle for the director. Yeah. Now a divorce inspired that, I guess, which was super novel in that way as well. So it really no, was. I I highly agree with your, uh, with those pairings. To be honest, 
Yeah. But I love the Fablemans. I would recommend people check out this movie. It does. You don't really even feel the two hours and 30 minutes. There have been some people that complain, oh, it feels too long. No, honestly, out of some movies that I've seen that are longer this year and not as good, I would say, yeah, this movie definitely, you do not feel that two hours, 30 minutes. Very much so. Yeah. So, my number nine movie of the year. Number nine is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. So, a lot of you people were probably not expecting this to be as high as it was. Because I do not typically like a lot of modern DreamWorks movies. Honestly, DreamWorks, as of lately, I have just kind of looked at some of their films and go, "Eh, that was pretty okay. I'm not sure I really like that. I'm not digging with this whole the bad guys thing. But when it came to a movie like Puss in Boots that was already established as a franchise character in the Shrek universe, I was like, oh, doubting wasn't great. But maybe they figured it out with this whole Spider-Verse animation and new direction that they're going in. And I am happy to say, yeah, they do a lot of great things with this movie, especially because it has such a simple story about just these characters that are all trying to get to this wishing star and make one final wish. But the movie is so much more deeper and layered than that. Like Fahrenheit was talking about earlier, it talks about heavy subjects like death, kind of the mortality of the situation, about the thing about legends and the trusting people. And there's just so many great themes in it that kind of build on top of it, even with the other side characters in this. I mean, the wolf in this, this is the personification of death, is one of DreamWorks' best villains by far. Like, he's creepy in every shot. I love the little monologues that he gives, the little scythes that he carries around on the ground, like just everything about this villain is so well designed and it's one of the best DreamWorks villains. Then you have Goldilocks and the Three Bears and you kind of learn a little bit more about their family dynamic as it goes along. Goldie is holding back this really personal reason as to why she feels like everything needs to be just right. And then there's kind of funny villains like Jack Horner, which I will admit I wasn't a big fan of this character as the movie went along, but I do understand he has an audience for some people who basically is a nursery rhyme character that is upset that he doesn't have some sort of cool like power, whimsical power, like all these other fairy tale <laughs> creatures. And then I would just say overall, this movie's animation pops. Like, it pops. It has the whole Spider-Verse feel to it. When the frames start dropping a little bit and you get to see the brush strokes go across, you'll just fall in love with the animation of this movie. The humor also feels like it goes back to the Shrek formula. The problem I had with Puss in Boots is the humor did not feel in line with the Shrek series, where it kind of, you know, knew that it was like this made-up fairy tale, that it kind of knew that it could make references to other movies. And this movie finally gets back to that whole, like, self-realization thing. And I love that because that's what the Shrek franchise has been so good at. This is a phenomenal movie. I love everything about the final battle. I love what it does with Puss's character and the respect that it puts on him. And Antonio Banderas gives, and I I know this to some people will sound stupid, but honestly kind of like an Oscar-worthy performance as Puss, just because of the amount of range he puts into it. Because most people would look at this and go, oh, it's a kid's movie, write a check or something. But Antonio Banderas is an actor, just he takes every role that he's given, and he just does so well with it, even in bad movies like Uncharted. So I <laughs> highly appreciate Antonio Banderas, the rest of the cast in this, honestly... I go see this movie, support it more than Avatar right now, because honestly, yeah. this little movie needs to make all the money it can to justify this new direction. I did like the bad guys, though. Like, it's in my I, top 20, but like, no, I, I get it, I guess. Okay. <laughs> so, but, yeah. My number eight movie of the year, and this is probably going to be a little bit of a shock to you The Menu. So, really? Yeah, so I did not expect to like this movie at all, actually, because I saw a trailer for it and I went, the story looks very generic and I don't know about this, but I did not know it was directed by a guy that I believe he made uh, Searching... Succession. Yeah, Succession. It's Succession. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. So, 
I love everything about the menu because this movie, not only is it just like kind of this good little, like, I don't know how to say like little indie film, just about rich people going to an Island and eating, but it also has a lot of great themes in it. It also has a lot of actors that are chewing the scenery because there isn't a whole lot of action in this movie. Like it's marketed to something rather crazy, but it's pretty tame. Yeah. It has shocking moments in it. And there's one very, very shocking moment in it that has a triggering scene that I'll talk about a little bit as to why I did not like it. But I think honestly, overall, this movie just really does a lot despite being kind of very little in its premise. And that's the best way I think it can describe this. And that's kind of what Succession is like. I'm just now getting into Succession. And I got to say that this show, it's pretty damn good in what it does with a premise that it has. And I Mm -hmm. think that's kind of the genius of something like The Menu, is it takes a bunch of actors that are usually good with premises like this and puts them all in a room, and they all just chew the scenery and chew a lot into their characters. Ralph Fiennes, honestly, I thought the guy was in deep shit because of that terrible-ass Kingsman movie that came out last year. But... He has kind of turned it around a little bit as an actor, especially with this. This is going to land in more roles because he has so much range as this crazy Gordon Ramsay-like head chef in the movie. I love everything about this movie. It's shot super well. The dialogue is really good. The themes are very strong. But there is a a scene in it, which I'm just going to get a trigger warning for people right now, where a a sous chef that has been working his way up to chef kind of gets dismantled by the head chef and the head chef just basically tells them this is your mess blah 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 do you love being in this mess and the character ends up shooting themselves in the mouth in front of everybody and it's a scene that Mm. i don't think a lot of people will love because he literally does commit suicide in front of all these people but the brutality of it the situation kind of how it plays out and just i don't think it's a scene that necessarily needed to be in the movie but i completely understand the people that are like no i think it has a purpose in there but that is my it, number eight yeah. movie, or number eight movie of the year i would highly recommend you guys check this one out when it comes out on hbo max the third which i believe is today now so about the menu it's actually in my top 30 maybe top 25 if okay. i i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna double check my list but like, yeah, no, one of the reasons is definitely due to that scene and also the other scene with Nicholas Holt. Oh, when... yeah, I forgot about that. Right. No, but like the thing is, yeah, those are there. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't really say it's distasteful as other entries yeah. or my least favorite movies of this year but no yeah it's as you said it, that's a really gripping story i didn't expect that to be on your list yeah i i didn't either but i walked out of that going damn i kind of want to see this again but i never got around to it obviously so i'll have to wait for when it comes out on hbo tomorrow but it is it's a damn good movie i mean it's the only movie of the year where we actually get a menu where we can eat the rich <laughs> very very true so yeah props to you So my number seven movie of the year is Pearl. All right. Mm -hmm. So I did not love X as much as everyone else. I I kind of am coming down on my love for it a little bit, which is why I'm kind of shocked that it even made it still in the silver tier. X is a movie that is an homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm not a big fan of that, obviously. I'm not the biggest Texas Chainsaw guy, but I thought it was kind of a better way handled movie of a Texas Chainsaw premise than what Texas Chainsaw is. Now, the thing about it is, I think that Pearl is not only a testament to kind of like a good character piece and just all the themes that they have with her character in this movie, but it arguably might be like one of the best performance movies I've seen in my life because Mia Goff 
is phenomenal as kind of this twisted dark Dorothy from Kansas and her just like spiral down into insanity. I love everything about this movie and its performances because that's all this movie is to me. It's one giant, beautiful performance film fest. There's a great scene where Pearl has been working up for this big dance and how it's going to make her a star one day. And the whole way it plays out, the way the situation's handled, her breakdown in front of people saying, I'm a star. It's beautiful. Everything about this movie and its performances is phenomenal. I think a lot of this movie kind of drags in pacing sometimes, which I think is kind of the main issue with it is the pacing can be very inconsistent. But this is a very good standalone story that gets you more invested in X because the problem with X is you don't really care much about the Grandma and Grandpa's villainly, or you don't know where it really comes from, but Pearl is a really good companion piece now to get you to really care about something like X. There's some COVID jabs in it that I kind of think are a little dated, and I'm not sure if they needed to be in something like this. I know they do it with the whole Spanish flu thing, but I get what they're trying to make it into. But all I got to say is the creator in this movie, oh, it's, it's a human trash can. It just eats anything that's thrown its way. And I think that's absolutely hilarious. But I recommend going to the movies to see this one, especially, like I said, if you want to see a Twisted Wizard of Oz type movie. I mean, there's so many homages to The Wizard of Oz with this movie. It's great. Um, and Mia Goth deserves an Oscar nomination. If she doesn't get one for this movie, uh, the Academy fucked up. That's all I'm going to say. Very much so. She was like legit one of my favorite actresses from this year. Mm-hmm. Just due to the fact that not only was she able to play Pearl in this movie, she was also able to play a porn star. Yep. And an old version of Pearl, yeah. which was the most what the fuck moment <laughs> I had this year, I think, for a movie, yeah. like behind the scenes wise. Because I didn't even know that when I first saw X. I'm not the biggest fan of X either. Mm-hmm. But like, the fact that exists was like that's impressive for X. Like I can respect X enough, but no, yeah, I want to say that Pearl's like just the better movie, in my opinion. Yeah, I you wouldn't be wrong. Okay, um, so number six is a movie that did not make your top ten list, but it did make mine. Glass Onion: A Knives Out Mystery. That is fair. So. I am a huge fan of the first Glass Onion. I do not give a fuck what people have to say about Ryan Johnson. I don't give a fuck about a stupid franchise like Star Wars where you killed the whole lore. As a filmmaker, you cannot deny this guy is not good. He is a phenomenal filmmaker. I love everything about the cinematography in his movies, the dialogue in his movies, the way he directs, the camera angles. Just he is a very, very strong writer. And Knives Out kind of feels like his strongest movie in some ways because it's a really good whodunit murder mystery. And I was like, well, he's going to make a sequel to that. And I don't know how he can really elevate it. Rather than do a whodunit as the sequel once again, he kind of does a movie that now it's mystery is a howdunit. Because I don't want to give too many spoilers about Glass Onion because I want people to check it out on Netflix. But it is not as much a whodunit as it is much a how this person did it. Which is what I kind of love about Ryan Johnson because that's the inversion that I was kind of expecting but I didn't really think would work. And it does phenomenally well in this movie. Daniel Craig has been trapped as James Bond for years. He has been stuck doing that role for a while. And I loved every second of it, obviously, because I think he's personally my favorite Bond. But once this guy finally got free and was able to kind of show off the fun side of his acting, 
he got to do it with something like this where he is the best part of this movie easily and he is the funniest character in this movie i love all the little jokes with him in this movie i kind of love how there are sequences where like he's putting hot sauce in his eyes and he says something like shit balls or he's eating something really spicy mm-hmm. like holly berry or he unravels this whole mystery that edward norton sets up in like one minute flat and then goes upstairs and starts talking about how it's the best bite it feels like the best bite basically and i love everything about it i love the southern draw and the way he pronounces things i love everything about daniel craig's performance in this and janelle monet is phenomenal as a companion piece character in this and she's very much different from marta in a way and i don't want to spoil too much as to how she differs from marta but her character and the other character she has to play in this movie which i'm not going to give spoilers i'm just going to say she also plays another character she's great in this and i had no idea she had the range to pull off something like this i didn't usually see a lot of movies with janelle monet but they're very good in this and honestly i really really liked her in this um the rest of the supporting cast is really good in this obviously kate hudson kills it in this movie she's very very funny as normal Catherine hahn does a great job as claire de bella and i love everything about her character madeline klein is great as whiskey leslie odom jr is great as lionel Toussaint as good as Pang, Dave Bautista's Duke Cody is phenomenal in this, and Edward... I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Edward Norton, guy's still an asshole, kind of hate the guy. I like him kind of playing this Elon Musk type character. I love everything about how he's kind of like trying to be smart, but in reality Miles Braun is an idiot, and that's kind of what I love so much about this character, is the way he tries to come off as so smug and smart, kind of like an Elon Musk, but he's really kind of a moron deep down. And I'm not going to spoil anything with his character, because I think it's great, but I love everything about him as kind of like a cackling character in this now here's the thing the movie does have some pacing issues i think at times and i do think that there are some jokes in here that didn't personally land for me which are two of my biggest issues but i still think as a sequel this is a really good follow-up to the first movie now i still think i like the first one a little bit more and i know that this one is higher on my list but i would on this year's list i should say compared to that 2019 list but I still think that I like the first mystery a lot more. And I also just kind of like the tightness of it. I also do think the twist villain in this is a little obvious. I think it's kind of obvious who the bad guy is going to be. Kind of like the first Knives Out. I knew that Chris Evans was going to be the villain as it went along. And I was like, "Ah, okay, I, I don't know. So I would just say, check out this movie that's on Netflix. Ryan Johnson's a great filmmaker. There's so many beautiful shots in this. And we finally have a great new gay fictional character in Detective Benwell Blanc, who is married to a spoiler that I don't want to give away, but beautiful love everything about that i'd argue that the twist villain i don't know if i said this in the podcast i I forgot but like i think the twist villain was less obvious for me even though it shouldn't have been I know I, a lot of people have said that they think this villain was less obvious. And then me and Danny had talked. And I'm like, did you think the twist was a little predictable? And he was like, or she was like, yeah, obviously. And I was like, okay, so I don't know. I think it depends on the person. I suppose. But I will say that this twist villain does have the hardest shot at the very end. It does. By yeah. the way. <laughs> and like, Matt King Cole plays a beautiful Mona Lisa. Exactly. During that shot as well. Uh, my favorite shot in the movie straight up all right yeah so that's your number six five yeah no my number six my number six gotcha gotcha so your top five yeah so number five is a movie that you had on your list a little bit lower the northman so Mm -hmm. i'm a robert eggers guy love his movies i love the witch i love the lighthouse and obviously i was going to see this now 
this movie kind of had some controversy because it had a ninety million dollar budget, and it did not make that back at all. <laughs> and I'm that's so kind of the bad. yeah, and that's kind of the problem um, that I think a lot of people don't realize is box office success does not equal a movie's worth. It does not at all because there have been Avatar fan. Yeah. yeah, well, unless you're an Avatar stand, but um, anyways, movies like those Transformers movies that came out made billions of dollars. Are they good movies? No. Do people really remember them? No. Man, that relatively was made on a high budget, didn't make a whole lot, will be remembered later because it is just an overall good movie. Now, I know that a lot of people would argue with me that this is just a very much run-of-the-mill revenge filler by all accounts, and I completely understand where they're coming from with that because it does play into some of that. But I think it's a really, really good thematic journey. I think that if you study Norse values and you really like this AD Vikings era and everything, it's all lovingly uh, recreated. I had to take a world history class at one point where we kind of had a section on the Vikings and stuff, and I tried to you know Google a little bit before this movie or do some reading on it and stuff. And I will say they did a really good job theming this movie to the era that it's set in. Like, that's the one thing I love about Eggers. He's an era-accurate director. He is very, very good at making things era-accurate because the lighthouse is all era-accurate and so is the Vich. And even the dialect. One thing that I love about Robert Eggers is he is a director that is willing to even get something as simple as the dialect down for the era. Like, that shows dedication to being a true filmmaker trying to make an immersive experience because this movie totally is. It is one big immersive experience. Now, I also think that a lot of the movie's themes are a little bit force-fed to the audience in this, which I think is more of a studio decision rather than an Eggers decision, because apparently the studio did battle on him a lot with this movie. But I think the themes here are spelled out more for the audience in this movie than they are for something like The Lighthouse or The Bitch, which, again, I think was a... uh, I forget who uh, produced this. Focus Features issue than it is a Robert Eggers issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, The score really stuck with me after this movie, and honestly, it might be one of my favorite scores this year. Alex, uh, Alexander Skarsgård puts in a career highlight performance as Aimlith, and Anya Taylor-Joy is good as Olga. Honestly, they, they're phenomenal in this movie. I really like the guy that played uh, Fjolnir. I think his name is Class Bangs. Um, and I'm glad that they gave him more villain depth and emotion than just kind of like a generic angry Viking lord. Um, the child actor at the beginning, they got to play young Aimlith. I wasn't a big fan of. I don't know why. He just came across a little bit annoying to me. And I understand that there are going to be some people that say that the ending isn't that satisfying for the buildup. I completely disagree. It's a beautiful ending, and I love the final mm-hmm. fight in the volcano with the two naked Vikings, and it ends with one of the most beautiful shots ever. I love it. It's a beautiful shot. I agree. This, movie, this yeah. movie is beautiful, and I'll just say the brutality in this movie, I love it. I love it all, and I don't care that there are going to be people that bitch about the pacing or they say it's boring at times. I think the pacing is beautiful in this. No, I totally agree. Like, I want to say, I, I forgot to mention, by the way, uh, this, I, I don't know if you played it, this feels a lot like Senua's Sacrifice. Oh, yeah, I've like, seen gameplay of it. No, like, just, like, the way that, like, is paced and the way that they tell their story and it just very feel. It's so weird that, like, I've been able to, like, make those parallels, I guess. Like, there, there's, like, an entire, like, fight scene where, uh, where the main character, he has to fight, like, a dead person. Yeah. Right, but then apparently that was all just like a mental game, mm-hmm. like that whole scene. It just seemed like it was ripped straight out of Hellblade. Maybe that's what Norse mythology is all about. Mm-hmm. That was just so interesting to me that he was able to capture that, and that's what makes Northman. Even though it's not higher on my top ten list, because keep in mind I love a lot of the movies I've seen this year. 
including the Northman. Northman is objectively probably the most gamer movie of this year. Straight yeah. up. <laughs> Willem Dafoe gets gets to talk through like a dead man's head. That alone makes it like a ton of fun. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so yeah. my number four movie of the year is The Banshees of Insurance. Oh, God. I was not expecting to love this movie as much as I did. I was like, okay, everybody's been talking about this. It, it didn't come out in theaters around me, and I was very sad about that. But I saw that it was coming out early on HBO Max for people to check out, and I went, yeah, I got to watch this. And I don't know if it'll be that good. And then after watching it, God, this movie is phenomenal. Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson deserve Oscar nominations. If they don't get it, I'm going to be so pissed off. Because this movie has a very simple story. A guy doesn't like a guy anymore and just doesn't want to be his friend. And the one guy can't accept that. And I love that that's how simple it is. But this movie is very dialogue heavy and very, very funny. Like it's very Irish. It's set in a very Irish era. And it's set Mm -hmm. in a a time where it was kind of going through this whole war thing. And I I understand what the war theme is about and everything. But I kind of love everything about this movie and how simple it is. There have been some people that complain, oh, it's just two guys talking and people saying stupid shit. No it's much more deeper than that because this movie is great. It's not only about human behavior, relationships, the finiteness of time, existential thoughts, the human condition. I mean, there are so many great themes that are layered in this movie. I could go on forever, but just overall, it's a great movie about kind of like what happens to friendship over time. And I think that's really, really mature, especially in the way that Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell just spend a lot of scenes talking to each other. There's a great monologue by Colin Farrell in a bar. There's another great theory in this movie that he might just be a little bit narcissistic and needs the attention. I mean, there's, There's so many great things about this movie where you can peel back layers and just find so many different themes hidden within. I love the dark comedicness to it. I also love like side characters like Barry Keenaw that play something as simple as this annoying child that follows him around town. But he also has a lot of backstory and depth to him. And that's what I love about this movie is just it's great. I love everything about the dialect of it. I love everything about the dialogue. I love the funniness of the movie. And I love how deeply layered this is because this is a phenomenal movie and more people need to check this out. I want to say, uh, obviously, Colin Farrell deserves an Oscar mm-hmm. for his role as the Penguin. Yeah, that say. too. Yeah. <laughs> no, but no, I'm. I agree. No, this was. It, it's also a movie that made my top twenty. I want to say the only thing that held it back for me, yeah. which, by the way, phenomenal movie. The ending was. I don't know. Like I don't know how to describe it. To me, at the very least, I kind of wished it was it had a little bit more time in the oven. That's fair. I guess. That's fair. Because this is definitely like it gets a lot heavy, basically. And <laughs> I also have a friend of mine who watched it with another friend of hers. I remember he had like a donkey. So watching Banshees. Was I just felt bad for him? <laughs> I guess That's... you know you know what scene I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know the doggy. Like, and that's not like the main thing. If anything, that's what made it all tragic. What I liked about it, I guess. But like the ending, I guess it's the whole ambigu, like the whole ambiguity of yeah. it all that made it interesting. So maybe I need to rewatch it again. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, no, this was great movie. Highly recommend. Yeah. So this next one was your number three and my number three, The Batman. 
Oh, yeah. goodness. The Batman was a movie that I was anticipating for a long time. Saw Matt Reeves was directing it. I love all the Planet of the Apes movies that he made. Uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, I believe, was in my best of 2017 list that I made back in 2017. And it's a phenomenal movie. I love everything about that movie. But I saw Robert Pattinson was playing Batman, and he had recently just done The Lighthouse, A Good Time, and Tenet. And I went, oh, you know what? He's going to kill it in this role because he has now grown as an actor into something where he can play a role like this. Jeffrey Wright was in it. I love Jeffrey Wright. He played Felix Leiter in the Bond movies, and he's also just a really good actor in general. I love everything about this movie and just how much it feels like the titular Batman movie. Now, Fahrenheit and I have have done a podcast on this, obviously, and I want you guys to go listen to that because we go more in depth on this movie. But if you're a Batman fan, if you love the Batman comics, if you love the Batman characters, you will love this movie because it is Batman. And, and Robert Pattinson, there are just so many scenes in him with this movie where he is Batman. Paul Dano is a great Riddler. I hate everything about Jim Carrey's Riddler. I'm not a fan of it in general. But they finally turned the Riddler into a serious, dark character like he is in the comics. And I kind of love that. I also love in this movie The Penguin, played by Colin Farrell, who I don't get how people say this movie isn't funny. He's literally comedic relief for this movie. And he's unrecognizable. Like, nobody, like, I would walk out of this movie after seeing it with my dad or seeing it with a friend. And he was like, man, who played The Penguin? That, that, that actor's really good. I'm like, it's Colin Colin Farrell. They're like, no, that's not Colin Farrell. No way. And then they look it up and it's just great. John Trudero is great as Carmine Falcone. He actually might be the best iteration of Carmine Falcone, in my opinion. I love everything about this movie and the action's great. The mystery's great. The Batman detectiveness are great. I mean, just go listen to that original podcast. We gushed over this movie for hours, three hours to be exact. Wait, hold on. I'm reading the cast for the Batman. Mm -hmm. That's not Colin Farrell. Oh no, who is it? It's Tom Hanks. Oh my god, it's Colonel Tom Parker. It's Colonel Tom Parker. No! Batman, me boy, I've turned on the bat signal. God damn it. No, yeah. Again, Batman is amazing. Batman Ego was adapted for that movie. It It's great. Yeah. Highly it, recommend it. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, so my number two. <laughs> All right. I know you're not probably going to agree wholly this one, but my number two is Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. It's a lot of okay. people's favorites. So, and, like, understandable. Okay, so, I'm a massive Tom Cruise action movie fan. I'm a sucker for him. I won't lie. I love the Mission Impossibles. They're some of my favorite action movies of all time. And the first Top Gun holds not only a nostalgia place in my family's heart, but also me. Because it was a movie that I bonded with with my aunt, with my parents, and even with a lot of other distant relatives. Like, I really bonded with them over that first Top Gun movie. And it's a great, cheesy, 80 actions movie. Like, it's phenomenal. I love everything about it. And I don't know. I understand this movie to many is military propaganda. Which, again, I can see where they're coming from. Totally agree with that. But I view it more as a really good character piece than just some piece of military propaganda or just a generic action movie blockbuster, basically. I think this movie does a really good job taking a character like Maverick, which he was very full of himself, cocky, obviously arrogant in that first movie, and kind of bringing him down to earth knowing like, hey, you're kind of on your way out. You need to teach these fighter pilots how to be the best. But he does it in a way where he doesn't try to push them too hard or push them in a way where he's like pushing them away distantly. He shows them how he does it. And I kind of love everything about that, that they learn off Maverick and the skills that he has and possesses. And there's also a really good like father-son arc in this movie for Rooster, who kind of resents Maverick, obviously, because he blames him for the death of his dad. He also pulled his papers from the Academy. But 
I love everything about the father-son dynamic that they give with those two characters in this movie. I love kind of the cocky, arrogant characters like Glenn Powell. I kind of love how the movie was actually filmed in actual fighter jets, and Tom Cruise took time to learn to fly in it. And the shots of these fighter jets, whether it's an IMAX or just the way that you get the POV shots, it all looks phenomenal. Yes, there's like CGI, like missile fire and stuff and CGI explosions, which I would Mm -hmm. say is the only unpractical thing about this movie. But everything in this movie, the shots, everything is practical and i absolutely adore that and it's probably arguably one of my favorite action movies that i've seen in a long time because i mean that entire last scene is just ripped off from star wars it's basically the trench run scene but it has so much tension and i was literally on the edge of my seat i mean this is just not only a phenomenal like blockbuster movie an action movie but it's a great character piece for maverick tom cruise is still insane though i won't deny that but this was just a really good summer blockbuster that i saw just as many times as my first movie i would argue you know, taking away the the military propaganda side and, like, the whole character study, that's a cute thing. The only thing that makes this movie bland is, compared to the first one, is that it's not gay enough. That's not <laughs> why. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that, too. Like, yeah, Iceman is, like, so gay in the first one. Yeah, well, I to be the- honest, he is kind of like a a chill husband. Who, like, yeah. booty calls his husband sometimes. <laughs> but, like, he gets killed off screen. And it's sad. Yeah, I mean... Bad movie. Credit to Val Kilmer for doing the role this year and even, you know, trying to do the movie because his his current current condition is really sad and it's it kind of sucks. That was the most bizarre part about that movie, to be honest, was yeah. the fact that he, they were able to make the most out of that character, I guess. Because, no, yeah, he was, like, a huge part of the first one. Mm-hmm. So, and they yeah, gave him like, a lot. Yeah, they gave him a lot considering his condition. And yeah, no, he was he was fun. Yeah, Do- Top Gun Maverick. It, I, I guess my really main bias is the fact I literally started working in August at my movie theater, and it was still playing for three more months, and like. It, I don't know. It's a fun movie. I get it. I liked more movies more, but I can understand why people like Top Gun for... I'm gonna be honest, it did save movies. Mm-hmm. Like, straight up. Like, Avatar, yeah, that's making a billion dollars. Maybe it's gonna make more in the future. That's great. Tom Cruise, I may hate him, but he likes the medium. He like, and that's I think that's all that matters. Yeah, and that's that's what I kind of respect about Tom Cruise. He's still trying to save movie theaters, and honestly, yeah, because who who would not want to see a movie like this on the big screen? Basically, Mission Impossible is going to be better. Yeah, it probably will be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my first movie, and same one again as Fahrenheit, Everything Everywhere All at Once. This. I, I have a little story to give with this movie. So I had two decisions to make one night that were pretty big. One was mm-hmm. I had a probably arguably the biggest party in school history or go see everything everywhere all at once. And I had a lot of friends trying to pull me in the direction of let's go to this big gigantic party. But there was mm-hmm. another part of me that was like, I don't know. This movie kind of seems like it might be one of my favorite movies that I will see this year. It also looks like a great movie in general. I just really want to see it. And I am so happy I made the decision that night to go with a friend and ditch this big party and see this because this movie made me cry. 
and I've seen this movie just as many times as Fahrenheit, I'd argue. I've seen it about, what, five times now, I feel like. Maybe Fahrenheit's seen it more. But I've seen this movie so many times where every time I've cried at the ending. The ending is just so beautiful. And it is a beautiful movie in general. It has very strong themes. It has so many great performances in it where this movie should sweep the Oscars if it gets nominated just because of just how beautifully well done this is. I mean we've already done a podcast on it and I want more people to go listen to that podcast where we do a full breakdown, but just this movie, the way it handles the multiverse compared to something like Dr. Strange, my God, it's not even comparable. And this might be the best multiverse movie I've ever seen. Not only that, but just the heart it has to it, the the family that it has in it, like the family. Oh, just, this is such a beautiful movie. Go listen to that original podcast and see this. If you haven't, you are not unlovable. There's always something to love. Even in a stupid, stupid universe where we have hot dogs for fingers, we get very good with our feet. Uh, come on! I mean, that come is on. Like, that is a stupid line. How how did that make me cry? Like each time I see this movie, it's so dumb. I uh, love it so much. How can something as simple as Google Eyes be so beautiful? Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, uh, it's a beautiful movie. If you guys have not seen it, please go out and see this. You have to see this movie. Most definitely. It's, it's one of my favorite, like, I was, I even, like, thought about it, too. Because I remember I had that movie in my favorite movie list ever since it came out. And, like, it's probably going to go away at some point. Like, I, I've been kicking out movies. I kicked out the Batman out of my top four on Letterboxd, and, like, mm-hmm. everything everywhere's gotta go someday. I, I watched that at the end of the year. Nothing's changed. It's still kind of perfect. For yeah. me, at the very least. And okay. Yeah. Well, I'll read off my top ten again, just to give some clarity to the audience. So, ten was The Fablemans, which is tied with Nope, like I said earlier. Uh, nine is Puss in Boots, The Last Witch. Eight is The Menu. Seven is Pearl. A6 is Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. Five is The Northman. Four is Banshees of Insurance. Three is The Batman. Two is Top Gun Maverick. And one is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Wow. That is quite the top ten. Like, and, like, yeah. I don't know. Like, this has really been a journey. And I'm really glad that we can end it on such a good note. <laughs> Clearly, there was no, like, downers this year. No, they wouldn't make bad movies. I think they outlawed those after COVID. No more bad movies. I'm pretty sure. Wait. What the fuck? Is that... Elvis? No. No! (sighs) I'm joking. We're going to be talking about these, aren't we? Oh, we're going to definitely be talking about these. Um, So, now to transition away from the positivity of this year. God, there was some shit that came out this year. Let me tell you what. The shit that came out, man. Oh, it's hard. It made me kind of hate going to the movies, which I never want to have that feeling when I go to a movie that I'm going to hate it. But these movies just made Mm -hmm. me feel it. And after I saw it, I went, God, I was right. I hated it. (laughs) Yeah, and I want to say the worst ones, too are the ones that either make me feel nothing watching it in a theater mm-hmm. or are just the most forgettable piece of shit ever. Or Seriously. both. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, 
I, I do a little honorable mention here for movies that are just meh. They're four out of ten movies. These are meh movies that weren't bad enough to make my worst of the year list. So I'll read this off very quickly. So the first movie on my meh list is Black Adam. It's just eh, it's whatever. Uh, see how they run. It's just eh, it's whatever. Don't worry, darling. It's, just, it's fucking whatever. <laughs> um, Beast. Yeah, it was fucking whatever. The Gray Man. Yeah, okay. Lightyear, yeah, whatever. Men, it causes a lot of discourse, I know that. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, yeah, it was a movie, that's for sure. And uh, The Secrets of Dumbledore, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's the thing that happened, you know. Um, that, was, that was definitely a movie. Yeah, and then bad movies that weren't bad enough to necessarily make the top ten uh, were movies like Marry Me, which was a Valentine's Day movie that I had to suffer through with one of my exes. Uh, oh. Father, <laughs> Father Stew, <laughs> which, uh, dear God, uh, Mark Wahlberg gives his greatest Razzie performance I've seen of his life. Uh, God, every day it makes you struggle a little bit as a Christian when so many bad Christian movies are coming out. Are we just forgetting? Oh, my God. Anyways, um, and then Memory. Memory is like the weirdest movie because it's made by a director that I used to really like named Martin Campbell, who just consistently misses now. God, is he bad. And Liam Neeson's in it. And the whole movie is about he's a hitman that's basically going through a dementia thing. It's so stupid. It's so fucking dumb. Like, please do not seek it out. It is one of the dumbest fucking movies I've ever seen. But those are just my honorable mentions and three out of ten movies that weren't bad enough to make the list. So my list works that the movie received a three out of ten. And as it goes up, it works its way up to a movie that got a 1 out of 10 or sometimes a 2 out of 10. Well, I want to say that Black Adam was bad. But I think I'd watch that a little bit more than uh, than Multiverse of Baptist. That, that is my humble opinion. <laughs> that is, okay, that's fair. That is very fair. Like, it's so dumb. Uh, can I share my one quick thought on that movie real quick? Because yeah, it's kind of true. Imagine Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I, I say this all the time. Imagine Dwayne The Rock Johnson caught lightning in a bottle. That's like quite the impressive feat. Right? <laughs> yeah. He's like, hmm. He he looks at it, gives like the, the people's eyebrow. And then he smashes it on the ground. Yup. So was that stupid? Yeah. yeah. But was it the most bizarre and entertaining thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I love it. It's dumb. It's bad. But I like it. I I, I, I think. Mm-hmm. I think. I, I just work at a movie theater too much, man. That's yeah. what it takes you, I guess. But yeah. And onto your top 10 worst. All right. So the top 10 worst. So how this is going to work is I'm going to reveal my 10th. Fahrenheit will reveal his 10th. And we'll, we'll just work our way up by surprising ourselves with the bad movies we saw. So I'll start with my 10, the worst movie that I saw this year. So this movie started off as a 4 out of 10 movie and then turned into a 3 out of 10 movie. My number 10 movie is Uncharted. This is a fucking terrible adaptation of the video games, and I do not know how Sony fucked it up this bad. Tom Holland 
is just playing Spider-Man in this movie, and legitimately, he doesn't even try to sound like Nathan Drake. It just sounds like Spider-Man, and the, oh gosh, oh no, oh wow, I'm gonna talk like this, oh, I'm gonna riff like that, like, I just hate everything about Tom Holland sometimes, because I want to believe he has range as an actor, but every time he plays a fucking role, it's just Spider-Man. Mark Wahlberg is nothing like Victor Sullivan whatsoever. It's just Mark Wahlberg playing Mark Wahlberg. He doesn't sound like Sully. He doesn't even have that nice little charisma that Sully brings. It's Mark Wahlberg playing himself. And but he's I, in a Papa John's. Yeah, and he's literally in a Papa John's right now. Dumbest product placement in line I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> Sophia Alley is really good as Chloe, though. I actually liked her. She might be one of the saving graces of this movie. Uh, Antonio Banderas was pretty good as, like, a villain until there's the twist that Tati Gabriel was a villain. But honestly, I just found her villain more boring than Antonio Banderas. I don't know why. I was just like, eh, she's not even a villain in the game, so it doesn't even feel that satisfying. Neither was Antonio Banderas. Um, and in terms of capturing the spirit of the games, I guess if I had to give some small positives, the puzzle aspects, I guess, some of the choreography felt like from the games, there's some good action set pieces and stuff, but like, I don't know, they butchered stuff as simple as the score, the CGI looks like shit, the movie looks like shit in general with the bad green screen, the story is a terrible fucking story that literally is kind of in line with the fourth game in the series, which like is a weird place to start considering this movie is a post credit scene where it sets up the first movie, like what or the first game's plot, like what the fuck? Um, it also tries to borrow a lot from Uncharted 4. It even brings in the brother dynamic, which, like, should not be in this whatsoever. Like, why are you setting this up? And it's so forgettable and so boring. I would say, if you're a massive fan of the games and you like this, uh, something's wrong with you. But also, at the same time, this is a bad movie in general. It's such a bad adaptation of the games. Why could we have not got Nathan Fillion and Stephen Lang in that little fan film instead of this? Like, just why? I mean... There is a farce in your statement with oh, Tom Holland. <laughs> the thing is, he has range. It's either he's Spider-Man or he's a man from Ohio. So, Oh no, but I'm... Devil all the time, baby. Uh, I love uh, that movie. Yeah. Well, do you, you want to give me your number 10? <laughs> <sighs> okay. Well, okay. Wait, 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 hold on. Let me pull up this list. That's- uh, all right, yeah. Wait, one, two, three, four. yep. I think number 10 for me is a little movie that I was kind of excited for until I realized that I probably shouldn't, and then I saw it and thought about it. Was really disappointed. It's called Amsterdam. Ooh, I'm going to save this for later with me. Cause, <laughs> uh, but go ahead and talk about it. David O. Russell. I have He's not seen a... I've never seen a single fucking thing that you made. I heard American Hustle is controversial as far as if it's like good or not. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook? I guess he made that movie. Yep. Um, he groped his trans niece. Yep. <laughs> that is rough. Uh, and, like, he didn't deny it. Okay, okay, okay. Bad, bad director. Bad person. Yeah. Let's see how his movie is. Because he's such a self-renowned director. It's bland. Like, this feels, like, this feels like a Wes Anderson movie if it shat the bed and it's aimless. 
I guess. That that's the best way I can describe it. Like hmm. like I don't know. I always I, I remember when I was first working in the movie theater, I didn't want to sound too negative. Mm-hmm. So I was oh I would always be like, oh I don't want to spoil history. Because like at first I thought it was somewhat interesting to see that it's like based on true events. But like at what cost? Yeah. Like there, there are more complex stories that take like bolder political like shit, I guess, like more political themes or something. I don't know. Have to. It's such a bland movie. I can't tell you a single thing that happened in that one. I other than Michael Shannon was with Mike Myers, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess they really did shout on that stage. I don't know. I was really disappointed in this movie because mm-hmm. uh, Margot Robbie was in it. Loved her in Babylon and in other movies. She could not save this movie. Yeah. Bale couldn't save this movie. It was bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, my number nine <laughs> is a movie that may sadden you a little bit because this started off as a five out of ten, but then we did a podcast together and I obviously didn't like it. Uh, my number nine is Thor Love and Thunder. So yeah. I am not a huge fan of phase four so far. I think it's pretty aimless and directionless. And most of the stuff that's come out in phase four has been pretty lame. I know that everybody just wants to crown Spider-Man no way home is like the best movie of phase four, but even then that's not really a victory because I'd argue that movie's pretty bland in some areas and hasn't really held up as well. I on don't rewatch, know. Yeah. 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 Upon rewatch. Yeah. I just think that it kind of sucks that phase four has been stuck in this rut. And I was like, well, what's going to be the peak bad because multiverse of madness was just meh. Like I said earlier, but no Thor love and thunder is kind of like the encompassment of everything that I hate about Marvel. It feels like it's a studio made movie with a director that I really like. That seems like he didn't even really care to make this. Now this movie has a lot of great visual styles in it, obviously. And I think there's some good action sequences in it. I won't deny that. I think the choreography got a little bit better compared to some other Marvel movies i like the colorfulness of it and i love when the colors change from all this all color world to black and white i think that's a really well a really good visual choice i love the aspect ratio change i love the cinematography the guns and roses soundtrack is fun uh character wise i love how it kind of brings back the old relationship between thor and jane and explores it uh it's very formulaic and cliche i know but i kind of like what they do with it um it it explores their fears of losing each other and why thor and her mean so much to each other and i just love everything about it in that sense but i kind of think it ends a little weak and I'm not like the biggest fan of it. Christian Bale is so underutilized as the villain of this movie, it makes me sick because he's great as Gore the God Butcher. He absolutely carries pretty much every scene that he's in, but then they barely kind of use him unless it's certain parts or a fight scene that's in a black and white world. And other than that, he's not really in the movie much, which I think was kind of a gigantic miss with this because he is certainly arguably a great villain that could have turned into one of the best MCU villains. Now, The bad of this movie, my God, the humor felt straight up cringe the entire runtime. I laughed at five jokes in the movie total. And there's a joke every five seconds in this movie. Korg, 
turned into a Reddit shitpost machine for me. I just did not like anything that he was saying. The Screaming Goats are very much a dated 2000s thing. And I would argue this is Russell Crowe's best laughably bad performance as Zeus. I can't take him serious at all in this movie. Like, I legit hated most of the scenes that he was in. Um, there's so many, like, weird product placement tie-ins in this where I'm like, no. Like, why is Disney doing this? Why do you need an Old Spice tie-in with a movie like this? And I might be in the minority when I say this, but, like, I don't think the plot is the most stable thing on the planet. It's a bit formulaic in how it handles the relationship beats. And sometimes Gore feels like he's in an entirely different movie. I don't think Valkyrie has a whole lot to do in this movie. And you could arguably cut her out because she really doesn't have to be in this whatsoever. I don't know. It feels like it's just like they downgraded her character a lot from that first Thor movie that, or Thor Ragnarok that came out. And why are the Guardians of the Galaxy in this at all? Like, they just don't really do a whole lot. And Chris Pratt just shoots out the theme to the audience and then they go bye-bye why the fuck are they in this i don't know i just think this is a really big misfire by marvel and it's kind of the peak of everything that i don't like about marvel it's my number nine i think okay because i, I also have a few thoughts on thor love and thunder mm-hmm. i guess i i'm fine that people don't like this movie yeah like obviously comedy is subjective obviously and I'm not even saying that's, like, the funniest thing ever. But, like, to me, I find it okay. Yeah. I don't really think it offended me, I guess. Like, And I think as we go down, like, further down the pipeline, yeah, no, the, Thor Love and Thunder is, like, far from, like, something that's, like, this bugs me, I yeah. guess. That, that's why I think it's okay. And... I'm fine with that. Like, I'd say, in my humble opinion, it a lot of the time in that movie, I'd say it's more rewatchable than at least 40% of Phase 1. Okay, that's fair. Like, like which one call it? Like, the first Thor movie, uh, Iron Man 2, the that very bad Hulk movie. Oh uh, no! Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I I like this one, I guess. And by the way, best Phase Four movie is uh, Shang Chi, better <laughs> Black Panther, I yeah. think. But uh, no, yeah, I I understand why a lot of people don't like Thor: Love and Thunder, but it didn't offend me, so. I guess that's one of the reasons why I don't hate it, I guess. What's, uh, but yeah, what's my number nine? It's Uncharted. (laughs) Yay. Yeah. Everything that Bacon said is kind of verbatim. Yeah, it didn't offend me again, but like, it kind of did. Like, more so in the fact that, like, why is Tom Holland. Nathan Drake and why is Mark Wahlberg Sully? Like, it makes no sense. As I said, uh, there's like a scene where Tom Holland uses gum <laughs> for some reason. Sure. <laughs> and like, I guess they've recreated like a long take of that epic moment in Uncharted 3. Yeah. The- and Great. I don't know. I want to say that the video game movies have been kind of a miss. Though I will say Sonic 2 is 
less of a mess than this one, like yeah. by far. Yeah. But I just didn't like this one, I guess. I, and everything, and again, more criticisms I basically share with Bacon. So, yeah, I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, so, my number eight is Jurassic World Dominion. I fucking fell asleep during this movie. I'm not going to shit you guys. I was bored as fuck with this. Why is the antagonist of this fucking movie a bunch of killer locusts? The fuck does that have to do with dinosaurs or Jurassic World or any of that shit? This movie is just characters will stand around and and say shit to each other. And it's not even like clever shit or they're trying to sound super smart or they're trying to give like the it's fucking weird. The villain of this movie, his plan is to like wipe out the nation's crops or some shit and like cause a hunger war or it's. It's fucking weird. Like, this whole movie does not feel, like, in line with the Jurassic Park movies. What's great about the first Jurassic Park is it kind of shows, like, humanity should not trust in trying to recreate something like this or that it cannot handle nature or, like, historical things such as this. And I love it because it's almostly set on an island where you're trapped with dinosaurs. And Jurassic World, while I don't love it, it tries to recreate the same thing in some areas, and I think they got it mostly right with that, even though I don't think it's a good movie. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was so fucking weird and out of place for the franchise, I hated that that but this movie's just boring it even brings back all of the original cast and they have nothing to do in this they're all boring their characters are generic and boring the dinosaur fights in this movie aren't even that cool like i just i was falling the fuck asleep i'm not even kidding you i think i fell asleep halfway through woke up at the ending when the dinosaur was attacking the facility and they were all trying to escape and that's it also the villain dies like newman does in the first jurassic park that's fucking oh, yeah, um, it's a boring ass movie. Chris Pratt sucks in this. Most of the cast kind of sucks in this. It's just this is a fucking boring movie. Do not watch it. Um, so I'm lucky enough to have not seen that movie Damn this it. year. <laughs> but from what you described about like the locusts, it like how they come out of nowhere. It kind of reminded me of like the X Men. Dark Phoenix movie, how like oh, yeah. aliens get introduced out of virtually nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like that—that that sounds funny, and I do hope that um, Chris Pratt returns to form when coming back as Peter Quill, because that's the only time I really like him nowadays. Mm-hmm. I can't really take him seriously as Mario. No few trailers that we've seen him in yeah but i don't know man maybe i'll see it someday add it to like the 100 like <laughs> it'll be like the hundred and second movie yeah i they... see but like is it worth it maybe not no i guess no <sighs> all right well I find it funny that you mentioned that you fell asleep, though. That is good as such. In theaters, no less, because that's supposed to be, like, the grand experience, right? Yeah. Uh, It couldn't be me, though. So what is my my eighth spot? It's Elvis. So, okay, so my story with Elvis being my number eight spot, the first time I saw it was actually online with Bacon. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> right? We had like an entire watch party and I'm like, 
man, this is the biggest piece of crap I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I guess. Like, nothing made sense. Everything Everywhere All at Once is a Maximus-styled movie. Uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet is also Maximus style of filmmaking. I like that movie a lot. It's when Baz Luhrmann invented cinema, mm-hmm. I guess. Why didn't this movie work with me? Maybe it's that I don't like Elvis as a person, actually. There's like some weird soundtrack like choices, yeah. I suppose. And it's, I think I mentioned it earlier or something, but they're idolizing a pedophile at the end of the day. And on top of that, uh, Tom Parker or Tom Packer as Tom Packer. It's kind of no Tom Packer. Uh, why are you the main character, man? <laughs> Like, that is the weirdest <laughs> choice uh, ever. Yeah. It's like, what if Rocket Man was bad? Yeah, like, basically. It's like, instead of having Elton John going into rehab, which was a smart choice, what if it was, like, his abusive ex or something, and then it just ends with his, like, oh, he loved you guys, and then, like, he just fucking dies. The most inclined inconclusive thing ever and the thing is right like after watching it online I'm like oh I work in a movie theater now I can actually watch this shit I tried watching that I I don't know why maybe I hated myself I watched that movie or at least I tried to watch that movie three times why in the theater but like, why? I I think I fell asleep like the first like two times. I felt nothing watching that movie, I guess. And it I don't know. It, it I get it. Some people like his music. It didn't do because I at the end of the day I don't like Elvis. If Baz Luhrmann's like whole thing was to make me care for this character. It he didn't do a good job at it, I guess. Yeah. That's my take. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah. Fuck Elvis. Ready for my number eight? Tell me. Hit me. So Fahrenheit, I don't know if I ever told you this, but did I ever tell you the definition of insanity? What would that mean? Tell me. <laughs> because this, let me tell you what, this eighth movie, it's uh, it's the definition of insanity. It's not uh, Ambulance, is it? No, I don't know if you saw it. So I'm, I'm just going to say the director, and I want you to take a guess at this movie. Sure. Roland, Roland Emmerich. I, yeah, no, I, I, I got nothing. Nothing for Roland Embrick? Okay. Here mm-hmm. we go. So, my eighth least favorite movie of the year is Moonfall. Moonfall is directed by Roland Emmerich, which, if you want me to tell you what the definition of insanity is, the definition of insanity is making Independence Day 
over and over again and doing the exact same fucking thing and expecting shit to change. This movie is just Roland Emmerich's career. He remakes Independence Day with different characters and different scenarios. This movie, uh, the guy from Game of Thrones that played Samuel Tarly is the main character. He plays a nerdy incel, basically. Uh, what's his fucking name? The, the Patrick Wilson that feels like he's just stuck making these stupid-ass blockbuster movies is in this. He sucks. Halle Berry's in this. She's not very good. But this movie's plot is that this fucking, the moon, right? The fucking moon was built by alien AI technology. It is just a giant fucking, like, nerve center, right? And this AI technology is causing, like, mass flooding and shit. And it's gonna destroy fucking Earth, and it's causing natural disasters. And the fucking solution for this movie is they need to go up to this moon and nuke it. I'm not fucking... I'm that seems like a really sane plan. I'm not gonna lie. And so the whole movie is just them going into this fucking AI moon and then blowing uh, blowing it up and Samuel Tarly dies and then at the end they imply that he's not dead. It's, oh my god, this movie sucks. Patrick Wilson sucks in it. Halle Berry sucks in it. For some reason, Michael Penn is in this and I honestly like him a little bit as an actor but he plays this really weird, like stepdad character it's fucking weird dude like this whole movie sucks and i don't know what more to say the green screens are ass the story's half baked it's just independence day like i said half-assed characters bad dialogue why does he always include marriage problems in his movies by the way like roland do we need to talk about something buddy you always have two characters that have marriage issues and it's just forgettable like his past movies moonfall fucking sucks do not see it i mean I'm not gonna lie, Bacon. You had me sold that nuking the moon. No, no. I mean, you have me intrigued. Maybe, maybe my lizard brain and activated. No, it's genius. That it does sound like dog shit, though. I'm no, not gonna lie. <laughs> so your number eight. Uh, my number is it number eight or number seven? Because. Uh... It was Amsterdam, Uncharted, and then Elvis. That's eight. Number seven. Oh, seven. My bad. My bad. You're number seven. Yeah, that would be Blumhouse's Morbius. <laughs> oh, wait. Sorry. Uh, I mean, that that's Firestarter uh, with Zac Efron as uh, what happened in that movie? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's like a girl who's like a pyromaniac. Is this my? I remember my dad told me this was like a remake or something. Um, like a story. It might be. I don't know, but like the way that this, I don't know. I'm I'm like struggling to like piece this together. The way that it. Um, that's told is told in a very cryptic. I I can't even say cryptic. It's it's just told in a very bland way. I yeah. guess. But like, I want to say that it probably has my favorite scene from a bad movie. It's like Man of Steel levels bad. Jeez. So, like, let me describe this scene real quick. So, basically, Zach Efron and his pyromaniac daughter is on the run. 
or something because like government is after her or something and then she comes across like a stray cat Mm -hmm. the cat scratches her and then she burns the cat yup and then I'm like oh that cat is dead Mm -hmm. like okay and like that that's just like my mind's eye. Like, okay, that, that's whatever. The cat is still alive. <laughs> and then the dad is like, okay, I need you to put it out of its misery. And I'm like, what the fuck? Are you telling your daughter to put down a... I don't know. It, it was so bad. Going back to Thor Love and Thunder, I like how innocent it can be. I get it. Some people don't like that, like, edge. Or, or sorry, people like edge. I guess. Maybe some people want, like, comedy that isn't cringe, that, like, isn't caring towards, like, fucking kids. I would take this over something as morbid and traumatizing as whatever happened in fucking Firestarter. Yeah. Where nothing makes sense. I can't r- tell you what happens in that movie. Nothing. Other than, like, I don't know, just her flaming people. I just feel bad for everybody working on it, except for, like, maybe Zach Efron. Which, even that is a stretch. I don't remember anything about that movie. I don't want to think about it again. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, nope. That that's number seven for me. What's yours? <laughs> so my number, my number six favorite or least favorite movie of the year. Are you ready for this? Tell me. It requires enough champagne to fill the Nile. Oh, that one. Oh, yeah. that's such a that's such a banger. Bad movie. Uh, Death on the Nile. When I saw Gal Gadot dressed as Cleopatra, oh, I knew this movie was going straight to hell. So, Murder on the Orient Express is like a, maybe a little bit of a flawed first entry in the series, but I'd say it was engaging enough to where you were interested in the story and mystery. This movie is like the complete opposite in its premise and story. Every character just gives exposition dumps. They all have one interrogation scene to flush them out, and a few die, and you really feel no impact. And Kenneth Branagh just strokes his fucking ego the whole movie and centers it around himself. There's elongated dance sequences that don't need to fucking be in this. There are long shots of the boat that do nothing. There are just shots of fucking characters sitting around for a while, and you're wondering why the fuck they have to do this. The story also doesn't even get fucking interesting until an hour in. Knives Out you're fucking interested in that mystery the entire way. You're you're like interested from the first frame. You're interested from when it's introduced. And, you know, when the second half of the movie comes around, you're even more hooked into the mystery of it. But this is the complete, like, it's just so fucking boring. Uh, you're left with just absolute slog at the beginning after a boring setup, basically. And why in the ever-living hell is he doing the stupid-ass spinning around camera shots? He's not doing it as well as fucking what Edgar Wright does. Like, not whatsoever. Um, the French accent is also kind of fake, and it really sounds bad. I know that Daniel Craig doesn't sound like a true southerner in fucking knives out but like 
Kenneth Branagh legit sounds like he belongs in one of those Pink Panther movies. Like, I'm not even fucking around. Um, the question, the, these questions and more just make me kind of wonder why I watched this. The twist is predictable as hell, and half of the cast just seems like they're all there for a quick paycheck. They don't care. It's just so lazy and fucking stupid. Like, it's so fucking stupid. And it also has that piece of shit Army Hammer in it, and fuck that guy, like, honestly. And just the cast in this is weird. Like, even Russell Brand is fucking in this. Like, why? Just, like, Kenneth, I get you have friends on Hollywood and you're trying to get them checks, but, like, this fucking sucks. This is a terrible mystery movie. Apparently that entire cast is, like, problematic or something yeah and it's a a mostly bad cast with not well acted scenes that's what just blows me away it's crazy though that like the previous movie orient express had leslie odom jr and then ryan johnson just steals them yeah back into knives out albeit he doesn't really do much in knives out to be honest but like I don't know. It's just the thought that counts. It's pretty funny. I guess that he ended up being in a more interesting murder mystery franchise. Which, yeah. I don't know. That movie's forgettable, but I think I've seen worse. But no, understandably, it's... Yeah, no, I, I get why people just don't like that one either. All right, your number six of the year. <sighs> okay. Well, I don't know if it's going to be lower on your list, Bacon. Okay. But, like, it, it was it was originally down there, but I want to say I've seen worse movies. That's like, fair. In retrospect. That's fair. And this movie is something that you talked about on your podcast pretty passionately. Okay. Uh, it's called Ambulance. Oh, yeah, I did. Oh. Yeah, uh, the whole kid being impaled is still etched into my brain. I don't really like thinking about that. I, uh, The whole Jake Hall being friends with Yaha Abdul was so strange. I still can't get over their whole relationship as quote-unquote brothers. Well, then again, that's kind of the... That's a similar problem that's also prevalent in Bullet Train as well. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. But like That one felt more personal than whatever happened here. This is just like a whole extended GTA chase scene (laughs) that is really boring. Yeah. Like, and Jake John Hall dies. Woo! The the only... um, This is the only thing, I guess, for Swifties. It's like, oh, we get to see Jake John Hall die. That's awesome. That's it. But, like, I didn't really get much out of this story. I don't really think Michael Bay is a great director. His whole style of filmmaking is kind of nauseating. Even, like, the drone shots. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It didn't really vibe with me. That's fine. 
maybe Vegan is gonna go more into depth about why it sucks maybe later, but I, I also know that uh, he and Danny talked about it a bit on a podcast, so yeah. Not my favorite one. And I think I liked Elvis more, unfortunately. I'm sorry. That's fair. Well, <laughs> my number five is, uh, is well, can I contractually say this? I don't think I really want to say this, but um, Elvis actually is moving out of my number five slot, worst of the year, and going into my number five best after being handed a wad of cash by Colonel Tom Park. You know what? I can't do this. Colonel, your movie sucks. What do you mean, my boy? This movie does not suck. It is one of the best movies that has ever come out. It has some what of the, the best. Where are you going here? You, Mr. Fahrenheit, putting Elvis as low as you would as number, what was it, nine, eight on your list? I do not think so. That is a movie, I mean, my boy. I like it more than Bacon. If You should hate him more. Matter. The yeah. fact that both of you have this movie so low, it is a disrespect to me, the snowman, the greatest snowman on the planet. You know what, Colin and Tom Parker, I'm just, I'm just going to say this right now. If you don't get out of here, you're going to be very, very upset when I send you to the Morvinverse. You're not sending me anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm the snowman. You can't send me to the Morvinverse. Get Morbs. I hate society. Yeah. So number five is uh, Elvis. And Elvis is a bad biopic. Like you said earlier with pretty much some of your complaints about it, it's like, what if Rocket Man was bad? Uh, this is director Baz Luhrmann that is very stylized. I hate his style. I do not like a lot of his movies. I don't love this cocaine style editing. And this movie, like I was talking about earlier, people bitched about the runtime of something like The Batman or another three-hour movie like Avatar, something like that. Or this tar. movie, Yeah, or Tar. This movie is two hours and 38 minutes, and you feel every bit of that. Even if it has this fucking flashy high style, like we're moving so fast the story, it drags because the movie's just so bad. Austin Butler... I understand that people want to give him an Oscar nomination, but I'm not crazy about the performance. I thought it was just okay. At times, it seemed like it was an Elvis impersonator. Tom Hanks deserves a Razzie. Terrible as fucking Tom Parker. He looks so bad in that awful fat suit with the bad comb over and the bad makeup. It just he, the, the performance is bad also. That's why I mock it every time I can. It's such a bad fucking performance. And the character of Tom Parker is so dumb. Now, me and Danny have done a podcast on this. I'd rather you guys go listen to me and Danny talk about this movie. But I'm just going to say it. It looks like shit. They, they ruined a lot of the original songs by just having weird fucking collabs. Eminem made a terrible fucking final track for this movie, which if you ever listened to it, by God, I'm sorry you always had to listen to it. Um, this movie also handles Elvis stealing from black culture pretty terribly. A lot of this movie, it's just like they're okay with it. Like, what mm. the fuck? Like, that's weird. Elvis I mean, should not yeah, be this. And his yeah. wife was at least 10 years, if not younger than that, when they got married. Just It's like you said, it's a pedophile movie, you know? But just, this movie sucks. I would recommend seeing Rocket Man, Walk the Line, Dewey Cox, just anything over this. This was a bad biopic. Go listen to me and Danny's podcast. Like, also, on Eminem's track, I that was, like, one of the things I dreaded working like my first like two months in mm-hmm. I had to listen to that shit every fucking time it was so it was bad however I do want to make a dishonorable mention really quick uh, speaking of biopics that came out this year uh, I'm so sorry 
but uh, I want to dance with somebody. Oh, I have not seen that. That movie. Here's the thing, like, real quick tangent. I had to consider either a movie that is about an artist that I don't like, that technically feels like a movie, mm-hmm. or something that feels like an event of a artist that I do like, but is done in like one of the worst tastes I've ever see I just hated seeing Whitney Houston go through all of that. I haven't seen Blonde, but like I'm assuming it would be something like that, I guess. Yeah, I didn't see Blonde either, despite the controversy. Yeah, and I don't know, I didn't like that one too I didn't like with the Whitney Houston movie. I'm sorry. But not enough to be in my top ten worst. I That's guess. Fair. Because, yeah, no, Elvis is a lot worse. So, yeah, sorry about that quick tangent. No, you're good. Real quick. But, yeah, no, again, Elvis bad. Agreed. And that's number five for you. Mm-hmm. All right, so what's mine? Next up is, oh, yeah, it's the Grey Man. You've seen that one, too, right? Yep, it made the Mets here. Oh, well, yeah. All I kind of saw it was the Russos trying to make a good movie mm-hmm. after, like, they're trying to prove themselves. But it's like, oh my god, we got like two actors from Blade Runner twenty forty nine. You yep. like that movie? Yeah. Uh, and also we're gonna give Chris Evans a role, and we're gonna give him the worst look ever. Because, like, Chris Evans, he's okay looking. I've kind of grown to admit that, I think. Like, with the beard, he's fine. But, like, his worst look ever is if you give him a mustache, he cannot rock it. Why did they think it was a good idea to give him a fucking mustache in this fucking serious movie? I don't know. The The lighting is bad. The choreography sucks. There's a scene where, like, like it cuts from, like, this guy trying to sneak up on a corner. And then it just cuts to Ryan Gosling just, like, shooting, like, what? Like, a fire extinguisher? Yeah. At virtually nothing, I think. Like, he's looking up at something. I'm assuming it's the, the person he's firing at. It's yeah. just done in a very awkward way. And also, again, it's one of those movies where I just don't remember anything. So, yeah. Yeah, bad movie. Would not see again. All right. Well, my number four is actually a tie, and one of them is a movie that you saw earlier. So, Firestarter and the Bob's Burgers movie. You know, you might be thinking, why? You know, because I had it. This day was already bad enough. So, I woke up and I found out that one of my personal friends had 
passed away, right? And I was very, very sad about that. And I was trying to get all the information I could. Well, I had gone into work that morning and it was just the worst fucking intern day possible. It was just, I was getting shit on for everything and I was just so fucking pissed off, right? So um, I decided to, you know, cheer myself up a little bit. I was like, okay, well, I have a date tonight that I'm supposed to go out with and we're seeing the Bob's Burgers movie. Well, not only was this date fucking terrible, but the movie itself was just, fucking rough or not my bad not the bob's burgers movie firestarter and the movie's Mm -hmm. just fucking hard to get through first off the movie was like you said everything you said earlier it's 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 traumatizing it's shit the prime the premise isn't that fucking good and the the only redeeming quality of it i'd say is the john carpenter score that's it literally everything else in this is not very good um but the bob's burgers movie i decided you know i was like well i'm still not in a good mood and this this date did not go that well i'm gonna see it with danny came out of it with Danny. We absolutely hated this movie. I think, I don't know if this was, I don't think it was on Danny's list earlier, but the Bob's Burgers movie is like the most unfunny movie ever. We have a podcast on this already, obviously, but him and I just kind of, or her and I just kind of talked a little bit about how like this movie, it, it's not funny. And like, it feels like a bygone era of like those Fox shows that really need to just get canceled at this point. But hmm. I associate four with one of the worst days ever. And also just seeing two really bad movies in that day. So that's why they both make the four slot because Compared to the other movies I listened earlier, those two movies are just fucking boring, but not as boring as the other three that come next. I still need to see Bob's Burgers. I I heard that like fans of the show actually do like that. Yeah, movie. that's what me and Danny said in the original podcast. We're like fans of the show probably love this, but we're just no. No, and obviously that's fine. I do want to get into more shows later down the line because. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still planning on getting that Better Call Saul tattoo, but I need to. I'm not. I don't think it's like my entire person. I hope it's not my entire personality. No, it's but like. Yeah, no, like I just want to branch out. I guess. Yeah. But yeah, that's and also sorry about that too. That that sounds rough. Yeah. The whole intern thing. It's it was. But, rough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, which one call it? My the next one on my list is uh, where the crawdads sing. Ooh, I did not see this one. I I don't know. I was okay. So first of all, I was kind of excited to see it on Netflix because the thing is, crawdads actually released. The day I started working at the movie theater. But the thing is, I never saw it. I only saw that, like, there's, like, an old man with a seashell. And, like, he tossed it in, a, in the water. And it's like, I'm in the... And then it's, like, the voiceover of like, this one actress. I'm forgetting her name. Uh, She says, like, I'm in the marsh now. Where the crawdads sing. It's like, oh, that's the name of the movie. And then it's Taylor Swift singing her song that's like getting nominated already. I'm like, okay, well, it seems interesting enough. And a bunch of old people cry during this movie. Maybe I'll give this a shot. It's the most traumatic movie ever. For no reason, twists happen, I guess, 
to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. But like on top of that, we get to see like child abuse. We get to see near rape experiences. Uh we get to see the main character get cheated on uh and such. And by the end, uh I guess she got away with murder. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, all right, that's that's cool. Maybe this is just forgettable. Maybe it's it's better than all these other movies, though. I then realized that the author, Dilly, I'm forgetting her name, like Delia Owens, something like that. Yeah, the author is a piece of shit who's like a white supremacist. And is also wanted for murder. Yeah. And that's why she wrote the book or something. I don't know. I never want to think about this movie ever again. This movie sucks. I'm sorry for the people that like the book and cry during the movie. This movie ain't it. This movie ain't it. I'm sorry. I'm glad that I missed it in theaters. That is, it's such an unbear compared to Tar, where like it's a really subtle like thing on the Me Too movement where like you're able to recognize it and recognize red flags. This one is just it can reopen wounds, and <laughs> that's what sucks about it, I guess. So, yeah, yeah, no, don't watch this movie even if it's on netflix at best pirate it and do a a little drinking game that will get you killed just take a shot every time they say marsh you will die i feel like kill yeah exactly so yeah Uh, that's my take on the marsh where the marsh sings all right so now my number three Oh boy, we've come to the number three. So number three is a movie you already talked about, Ambulance. Um, I, I did a podcast on this where I went into a rant because it was immediately after I had seen the movie. If you guys want to listen to my rant, please do. But I just hate Michael Bay. I don't like him as a director. I don't think he makes good movies. His editing sucks. His action sequences suck. His practical effects aren't as good as something like what Christopher Nolan does. The dialogue sucks in all his movies. This thing is, like Fahrenheit said, one big long GTA car heist. It's cringy. It's fucking weird. Jake Gyllenhaal is kind of like the worst character ever. Yaya Abdul-Mateen is like the only one you really want to root for in this movie. But even then, it's just it's also fucking bad. Like this movie is just so fucking bad. And like, again, if you want to see an action movie that'll put you to sleep, that also you feel the runtime of, I will argue, go see this. And if you want to listen to my original podcast or leave my letterbox review where I go more in depth, go ahead. But boring ass fucking movie would not recommend. So, yeah, I will say, though, Jake Gyllenhaal has been in an okay movie this year, in my opinion. It's called Strange World. Yeah, yeah, it's I I, I honestly get why people would hate that movie, too. But he ain't it here, but he's definitely something in Strange World. Check it out (laughs) if you don't want to hate yourself by thinking about Jake Gyllenhaal, the year 2022. (laughs) I guess. Number three for me is Pinocchio. 
Oh no, not Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Oh, you have me mistaken. It's the Disney one that makes no sense. <laughs> no, I think you have them flipped. Oh no, 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 no. I'm. We're not recreating that whole Better Call Saul bit. I'm not crazy. I'm no, not no, I, I know you swapped those. Uh, no, no, I'm. I'm not crazy. No, I'm joking. Anyways. <laughs> The the whole Disney Pinocchio thing is why. Well, like <laughs> the thing is, both of them deal with shit. Yeah. Like, I'm, wait, you haven't seen the Pinocchio movie, have you? By uh-uh. Guillermo del Toro. I have not. All right, I'm not gonna say then how, but like they both have like a like a poop joke. Hmm. Guillermo del Toro's is way better. Like, oh, good. Especially in the context of the story. But here, it's like, oh, kids must love poop jokes. And also, hey, look at all these clockworks. They're all product placement for how cool we are. See, this is a legacy piece. <laughs> or something. Also, Tom Hanks is arguably more insane in this movie than Don Parker. No, it like, can't be. And, like, he sounds like a desperate old man who's, no. like, out of, like, an insane asylum looking for, like, a puppet, like, a wooden puppet, oh. I guess. Like, our, like, I was so debating on putting the like the one made by Lionsgate. Yeah. The whole fruity one. It's like skitty skitty skitty. Yeah. Thing is, that one I can actually laugh at. There's no form of enjoyment in this movie outside of like a character. Mm-hmm. I don't like thinking about it, I guess. But yeah. Not not a good Pinocchio movie. Not I don't know why there's like one at least we got one good one, I guess. Yeah. But but I'll stop complaining about that, I guess. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my number two uh movie you also talked about that was uh lower on your list is Amsterdam. God understandable. This movie's yeah. fucking boring. If you ever played Fallout or any of the Skyrim games or just, you know, games like that where the NPCs all have usually like funny bad dialogue or bad acting with dialogue, that's this movie. This movie feels like one gigantic movie acted by Skyrim NPCs. I'm not even kidding you. So this this movie's plot is virtually the dumbest fucking thing at the same time with the dumbest fucking themes. I don't understand why they're trying to have a political message like this. I don't understand why Robert De Niro got roped into this and he also looks bored. I don't know why Christian Bale's character is so fucking weirdly stupid to the point to where I I don't understand the point of this character. And nor do I really like enjoy the little veteran message that they have because it feels so half-assed and tacked on. Again, you want to talk about movies where you feel the fucking runtime? 
I was falling asleep watching this in theaters. I frequently checked my fucking phone just to see if the plot was moving along any faster. And I had a friend who came out of this that actually kind of liked it. And I just sat there the whole car ride silent. And they were like, what's wrong? Did you not like the movie? I'm like, I'm debating whether or not I remember half this movie in a day. And I'm not even kidding you. I had to look up the plot points and even some scenes on YouTube for this because I can't remember most of this movie. It's so fucking boring to where it just blurs right by. Well, like, we got the funny scene where Taylor Swift gets her head run over. Yeah, that's the only scene in the movie where I was like, okay. Also, clearly, David O. Russell never played Fallout New Vegas. No. So, yeah, that's why this movie really sucked. Yeah. Like, but, yeah, he just looked at Skyrim and, like, Fallout 4, I guess. Yeah. It's like, that that is woke. (laughs) the people will forgive me for my for my fucking sins for referencing fallout 4 i guess yeah i don't know that movie's bad i yeah don't watch it i guess please please don't support david russell what, support Wes Anderson. Yeah, um, support Wes Anderson said, who makes a much better movie, who would probably take this story and make it better. Exactly. Uh, so this is okay. Okay, I don't know how I want to frame this because these two movies are contenders for the number one worst movie for me. Okay. Because I never want to see either of them ever again. I think. So, do you know what? I'll go with the more popular one. Or, like, technically. It's Smile. Ooh. So, yeah. So, Bacon, you were kind of worried about the menu. Yeah. Like, being in your top ten and such. Because of, like, because of a couple scenes. Right? And, like... That movie's actually really good. I really like it's st- because, like, yeah, that whole movie is about how rich people get their shit rocked. Yeah, basically, and like, oh, that they're actually all gonna fucking die. Uh, like, that's kind of metal, and I really like the themes. Like, yeah, it's triggering. I, I, I watched it multiple times, but like, it's. It's hard to watch, but, like, it's still good, right? Like, it's all there. Smile weaponizes mental health. Ah. In a very unhealthy way. Oh, God. Where, like, characters just keep on killing themselves, and that is the body horror aspect. Which, by the way... Body horror can sometimes be pretty fucking cool, like uh, like Crimes of the Future or Bones and All, which also honorable mentions. <laughs> but like, when the whole thing is just self harm, like it, it's like trying to poke at like, like mental hospitals and such, and they end up in the very end. They give, like, mental illness, like, a face to be afraid of. 
and ends up killing the main character who has been struggling with this whole thing i'm like they're just doing this for shock value and nothing more mm-hmm. and like yeah maybe the bad ending is iconic maybe it looks cool in retrospect i don't know just seeing that movie i don't know it just made me sick i guess i love horror movies barbarian was like one of my favorite ones i'm sorry by the way i probably also probably should have put a trigger warning on this thing so but like don't watch smile Oh, I I if you don't like that horror aspect that like just does random shit for no reason I haven't seen Terrifier 2 yet but like I know that the first one is just torture porn maybe this one's worse maybe but like yeah no I just don't want to think about this movie anymore but it's either that or Morbius spoiler alert uh, alert, but like that that's for another subject Bacon what is what is your second least favorite movie well I I I did my second least favorite it was Amsterdam oh what it okay well then what is your worst well my worst my worst movie uh, to quote the famous phrase that goes with this movie it's Morbin time it is Morbin time I believe it is your least favorite also. It's my least favorite. Do you know what? I, I like thinking that Morbius is my least favorite. Maybe it's better to not think about Smile and just think, hey, yeah, remember that Jared Leto superhero movie that flopped and how he kind of is the worst superhero actor objectively ever? Yeah. No. Like, at least I can think about that, I guess. This this movie is just, it it stole the Nolan Batman theme. Why? Man, (laughs) why? Okay, so when this movie first came out, I I saw, I I came out saying, guys, did they not use the Nolan Batman theme? And my friend goes, yeah, yeah, actually they did. And every time he's surrounded by bats, they played like a, a ripoff Nolan Batman theme. And then we looked it up on, you know, like, you know, Google or something and couldn't find anything, go to Twitter and people are instantly like, they stole the Nolan Batman theme. I was like, see, we're not fucking crazy. I knew it had to be that. Um, But this movie just looks like shit. I mean, it looked like shit. It's acted like shit. It has some of the worst editing and ADR I've seen. Jared Leto is once again doing method acting, which I don't know if you heard, he was an ass on set while they made this. Like he was a complete dick to like most of the people on set, like especially with trying to keep in character at times where they needed him to like, you know, move quickly for a scene or they're like, Jared, we need to get set up for this. And he just wanted to stay in character. Like, why, dude? I think the fact that it was released on April 1st says it all. Oh, we saw it on April 1st, too. Oh, that is that's amazing. Also, I want to say best movie ever. Yeah. Best movie ever. I want to say April 1st. the reason that I hate this movie so bad is when we went into it, there was like 15 people in the theater and pretty much all of them walked out besides us. Like this this year where I saw people actually get out of their seats and leave. That's actually kind of funny. Yeah. I remember seeing a video by like a famous YouTuber. I'm forgetting the name. 
but like he saw Morbius multiple times. But like the thing is, what he did was he didn't want to support Morbius. So what he did was he actually paid tickets to see everything everywhere all at once, and walk into a Morbius theater. Yes, like like, like what like five times or something just to get the, something out of it. Doing the Lord's work. Doing the Lord's work, basically. Um, yeah, Morbius, forgettable movie. Uh, there are some personal stuff that are... That is also one of the reasons why I don't like thinking about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it involves, like, a guy who has seen it three times. I know a person that's personally seen it three times. <laughs> and I'm no longer friends with this person. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah, fuck this movie. Fuck Morbius. I hate the... Uh, I hate how he ca- how 2022 made me casually say it's morbing time. <laughs> Make more part of my vocabulary. What has the world come to? What is this world coming to? Um, yeah, so... Read my list real fast. Uh, ten was Uncharted. Nine was Thor: Love and Thunder. Eight was Jurassic World Dominion. Seven was Moonfall. Six was Death on the Nile. Five was Elvis. Four is the tie between Firestarter and the Bob's Burgers movie. Uh, three is Ambulance. Two is Amsterdam. And one is the Morbin Time. I'll just go down my list real quick. It is Amsterdam, Uncharted, Elvis, Firestarter. Ambulance, The Gray Man, Where the Crawdads Sing, Pinocchio by Disney, Smile, and Morbius. Maybe they're tired and maybe they're interchangeable. Yeah, Morbin time is dumb. Yeah. Um, So I always encourage at the end of the podcast, I would recommend you guys keep up with my letterbox because uh, while this podcast obviously is kind of a finalized list, um, obviously there'll be other movies that we see as time goes on from 2022. So like after I see Pinocchio, good chance it could somehow bump up into my top 10. I don't know. Um, Maybe if I see Tar and I think that's really good, I would also argue get up there. Maybe after Sun will be really good. But as of right now, you know, the list that we have, this is kind of our finalized list for what we thought were the best movies of 2022. And like I said, just keep up with Letterboxd. Maybe something will change. Maybe something won't. But it's a damn good year for movies. Yeah, like, yeah, literally, despite the fact that we have been talking about, like, some low points... Like, the highs were fucking high. Very, very, like, very. I don't know. I, because, yeah, no, I still think that Everything Everywhere All at Once is, like, one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, I think getting into film for, like, that medium is honestly really interesting. Because, yeah. I can't stress how much I cried over how well written the arcs were being wrapped up in everything everywhere. Like five arcs wrapped up in one third act and it's beautiful. Like uh, that's one of the reasons why I want to teach, I guess, is so that way I can help inspire, I guess. Like, sorry, being a little bit vulnerable on the pol- on the podcast or like one of the first times about like what I want to aspire to be. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. 
I don't know, but just like that aspect. Basically, this whole journey this year has been huge for me. And I can only see myself going further, I guess. And yeah, no, I'm again grateful that I'm on this podcast again. So thanks for having me too. Yeah, no problem. Well, that'll do it for our 2022 uh, wrap-up list, and that will do it pretty much for the year of 2022. There are a lot of great movies that are going to be coming out in the future, and there are a lot of movies this year that I'm very much anticipating. Um, This is going to be a good year for movies. And like I said, I think this is going to be a difficult year, obviously, because uh, this is my last semester of college, and I will be moving into the job world after this. In fact, in the summer, basically, is when I will be looking for jobs full-time. Um, yeah, because while well, interning's great and it pays really well, <laughs> it's just something that you don't like to put up with the shit anymore. So, um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to this edition of Hayden's Entertainment Hour. Fahrenheit, do you have any final comments before we sign off? Who's going to talk about the Mario movie? Who's going to talk about the Mario movie? Chris. And the Spider-Verse movie. And the Spider-Verse. And, and Megan. Well, and- Megan's this month, so. Oh, yeah. Man, it's going to be a cold hell in January if I, I don't know, maybe I'll see it. I don't know. But yeah, that'll do it for this edition of Hayden's Entertainment Hour. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, The other person that I talked about earlier that has an audio file will be plugged here at the ending. But this is it from us. See you next time. Mm.